vintage metagame trends, and Dark Ascension spoilers on episode 12 of So Many Insane Plays. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of So Many Insane Plays. I'm Kevin Crowen with Stephen Menendian. Hi, folks. In this episode, we're going to talk about some recent trends in Vintage and our initial thoughts on a couple of cards from Dark Ascension, for Vintage in particular. As always, if you want to contact us, you can follow us on Twitter, at ManyInsanePlays, or email us at ManyInsanePlaysPodcast at gmail.com. Let's get started with some announcements first and foremost, though. Everyone's favorite section. Oh, of course. Tournament coming up March 3rd, the next Team Serious Open in Sandusky, Ohio. We love their uh, tournaments. Those are always we'll a good be time. There. We'll be there. Also, you want to pitch your set review for Dark Ascension? Right. As of right now, only 54 cards have been spoiled, mm-hmm. and I've written my analysis of 48. <laughs> <laughs> so I have uh, a little bit of work to do, but as soon as the last card is spoiled, uh, my set will be up and available for download on eternalcentral.com, www.eternal-central.com. And I will be sure to um, post a link on the Mandarin as well. And even with as little as we've seen, we're already excited. Yeah, my set review is already about 25 pages. So. It's going to be great. no sense in beating around the bush. We may as well talk about the cage. Graft Digger's cage. So for anyone who hasn't seen this, which is probably very few of you listening to this, Graft Digger's cage is a one casting cost artifact that says, creature cards can't enter the battlefield from graveyards or libraries. Players can't cast cards in graveyards or libraries. <clears throat> Already we can tell that this card impacts very key Cards and strategies in Vintage, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. We're talking creature cards can't enter the battlefield from graveyards, all right? So you can't animate, reanimate anything. So Dread Return, for example, would fail if you tried to cast it and bring a creature into play. Or libraries. So as soon as you try and pull something out of your library and put it into play via Tinker or Oath of Druids, it's going to fail. I thought you said you weren't going to beat around the bush. <laughs> I mean, this card... It significantly and negatively impacts Oath of Druids, the mm-hmm. entire Dredge deck, yep. Tinker and Yawgmoth's Will. I mean, all those cards, with this in play, all those strategies, tactics, and cards basically become neutered. Right. And so the decks that are going to have the hardest time dealing with this are, I think, Dredge, right off the bat. Actually, I think Oath. I think, well, but Oath already, well, Oath already has what weapons. the hardest... Right, but Oath already has certain cards like, say, Leyline of Sanctity that it simply can't function while they're in play and has to remove in order for anything to happen. Well, this card is... is, is it's The scope of the card is yeah. remarkable. Well, we haven't had something that hosed so many different Tier 1 strategies at one time. There has never been a card, to my knowledge, that prevents you from casting cards 
from libraries. <laughs> no. That's so, I mean, one of the things I like to do... Very when new I, and unique. One of the things I like to do when I look at sets is I always look and see, first of all, is there something similar to this card that's playable and vintage? Um, in the first place I look is the, usually the casting cost. Granted. I mean, there's no need to even engage in such a superficial initial analysis <laughs> here. But the next thing I like to do is I look to see, is there anything in either the vintage card pool or the magic card pool. So I spend a lot of time in Gatherer looking mm-hmm. and seeing, you know, where there's precedent for certain kinds of effects. So yep. when Nevermore was printed in um, Innistrad, I looked and see how many cards have that effect. Mm-hmm. And there was two. There's Meddling Mage, and I forget what the other card is. Right. But the, the point is that for this particular effect, something that prevents you from casting cards out of a library, there's never been something like that. In fact, I'm not even sure there's something that prevents you from casting cards out of a graveyard. There are cards... I take that back. There's Ground Seal, yep. which prevents you no, from... Tar- that's sort of targeting cards in graveyards. Targeting cards in graveyards, right. right. But there's there's never been anything that prevents you from casting a card out of the graveyard or library. So in that respect, this card is totally unique. Yep. And anytime you have a card that's totally unique, it's possibly playable. You have no way of at least eliminating it as, <laughs> as playable on the surface, particularly if the casting cost is within the realm of a possibility. There, there's yeah, one other card I was fact, just reminded of, there Shaman's is a, Trance. So there is a card that prevents you from casting cards out of graveyards, um, but until, and that's Shaman's Trance. Until end of turn, other players can't play cards out of their graveyards, you can't play cards from other car- players' graveyards. But this is an, an instant that right. costs three, so it's a one-time shot, it's red, and it costs three. It's just, it fails in so many other respects, and it's too yeah. narrow. So this is a one-casting-cost spell that does really several unique things, mm-hmm. And it, it does at least four things. <laughs> Kevin said there's four zone transfers that are pro- prohibited, and they are. Right, so you can't move cards from the, your library onto the stack, and right. you can't move cards from your graveyard onto the stack. Right. Then, subsequently, you can't move cards from your, your creatures, I mean, from your graveyard or library uh, into play. Into the battlefield. Into the battlefield, yeah. Right. So well, there's four zone transfers that are prohibited. Mm-hmm. I think... Not only are most of these effects unique, so let's just take each one of those. Again, we said there's no, one of them is completely unique. There's never been a card that prevents you from playing, playing spe- from your library. From your library, yeah. So this is totally unique. There's There's been one card, Shaman's Trance, Trance. that prevents you from playing cards from your graveyard and into the, into the battlefield. Yeah. Or onto the stack. Yeah, into the stack. And, and, and so that is virtually unique in <laughs> <Yeah>. that respect. <laughs> this being a continuous makes it almost entirely unique. Yeah. There have... Uh, Bin cards that prevent you from playing creature cards from graveyards. For creatures from coming into play. play. Yeah, there's lots. There's a long history of cards that, in one way or another, prevent creatures from coming into Such play. Such as, can you name one example? I'm thinking Cold Storage from mm-hmm. from back in Tempest, or uh, a handful of others. But the <clears throat> the thing about those cards is they were almost completely uniform in that yes. they just affected things coming into play. Right. This, this one, does all four things simultaneously. Right. Yeah. This it's it's broad so, and yet narrowly targeted. Even if this card only did one of those four zone trans prevented one of those zone transfers, it would have been either unique, mm-hmm. either because the prohib- prohibition was entirely novel, mm-hmm. or unique because the efficiency of mm-hmm. the prohibition, a one casting cost artifact. That's right. There's been nothing that's this. But tying efficient. all four into one card is Mind blowing. I mean, it is not just novel. It is it's mind blowingly novel, um, <laughs> utterly unique in the in the vintage in the in the magic experience. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so when people look at this card, it actually raises a lot of interesting questions. It makes you think about the game almost differently because mm-hmm. you don't think about the, the game quite in those terms. In fact, it's raised some questions that we'll discuss later about <laughs> what what that means, like why the distinction between creature cards and creatures. And, and to, to be a little more specific, you're, you're talking about there are metagame and deck building consideration questions yes. about their meaning. Yes. There are rules questions about yes. meaning. There are design questions yes. about the implications and meaning. And then there are thematic questions, flavor Ex- questions. Sure. And, and, and this card raises all, all, erases all four of them. Right, right. So let's just hit the nail on the head here. This card is super good in vintage. Yes. But how good? Well, how a lot good of, is this card? A lot of people immediately jump to the conclusion that you could main deck this card. Four of them, even. <laughs> because it hits Tinker and Yawgmoth's Will. These are those are high-profile win conditions. It hits Dredge, which is a very high-profile and oft-hated deck, literally and figuratively. And it also hits Oath, which is a very popular and powerful deck right now, too. Yes. So, so we talked about four of the most important tactics right. in, in Vintage that it, it hits. And not only hits them, but severely... Neuters it's crippled, crippling. The, those effects cannot win the game, basically, while this card is in play. In almost all cases, that's accurate. Yeah. I mean, there's one, there are a couple caveats. Like we corner cases we yeah, can talk about. Cases, but, yeah. but for all intents and purposes, if you have this in play, those tactics are not going to function. Which, which strategy is this hit hardest? You say Dredge, I think Oath. I think Oath, and the reason I think Oath is because there's never been a one casting cost artifact that simply prevents Oath from working. <laughs> it's I mean, true. Witchbane Orb and Leyline of Sanctity were two cards. There yeah. was Eon Hub before them. Yeah. So you're yeah. getting you you go from five casting cost artifact or four casting cost enchantment to a, to a four casting cost artifact in Witchbane Orb right. to a one casting cost en- artifact. And Witchbane Orb saw play just because it was slightly more efficient and exactly. just it did the job. Witchbane Orb, I think the, the Witchbane Orb is gone now. So what you're so what you're saying is Dredge already has lots of efficient yeah. and cheap it's things to like shut Tormod's it down. It's not like Tormod's Crypt doesn't exist. Right. I mean, Tormod's Crypt is actually more effective, and not more effective, but more efficient than this. Yeah, and Pithing Needle already exists Pithing to Needle. stop Bazaar. Now, obviously, this is more brutal. This is closer to Leyline yeah. than, or Jailer. Mm-hmm. The Jailer is probably the best, Jailer is the best, the best analogy. comparison. Yeah. So it's a one-casting card effect that does what a two-casting cost to one creature does. Right. Similar. Yeah. Um, not entirely the same, but no, very close. But, but it's the best analog. Yeah. But to your point, Oath has never had a hoser that was this efficient that shut them down completely. Exactly. That can be played across You're the right. board. There's like, no deck that can't play this. <laughs> like Greater Garganon is an example of one that was approximately exactly. as efficient, but exactly. still didn't go in every deck. That's a good great example. And also, you had to play red. And also and not permanent. Not permanent. You had yeah. to play red. And there were a very limited number of decks that could actually use that card. Right. Like, for example, you couldn't use that as an Oath Mirror Hoser. Right. Not that you can... You, you can actually use this as an Oath Mirror Hoser. If you're prepared to, to deal with the consequences. Yes. Yeah. But... Um, be very interesting to see Oath decks boarding this against Dredge, obviously, but then against the Mirror, if, if they have another... I doubt they will. If they have another tertiary yeah, plan to go with like it. Tinker but, or something. Yeah. yeah. But in any case, I think, I think Oath gets it the worst. Dredge... Is clearly effective, but this is not necessarily stronger than Jailer or Leyline. Right. What it does is it offers a continuous effect for a permanent, in other words, mm-hmm. for one colorless mana, which means it can go in any color. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time non-black decks can run a card that isn't black and mm-hmm. get a Leyline like a Jailer like effect. And I think before they were limited to cards like uh, uh, Surgical Extraction, Leyline of the Void, um, Ravenous Trap, cards that were black but could be played for free. Dredge, I, I think I agree with your assessment. Oath gets it harder from this card. Mm-hmm. Dredge gets another impact from this in that it is so much better at hurting other strategies that this card will be seen just more often. 
people will main oh, yeah. deck this card. Oh, yeah. In a way that they never would have main decked Leyline or Pithing Needle or Jailer or yeah. any of those other good Agreed. Dredge cards. Agreed. So Dredge is going to encounter more game one hate because of this card. That is something that is tremendously important. Yeah. Um, Dredge is a larger part of the metagame. It's mm-hmm. a lot more important part of the field. Oath is more marginal. So from one perspective, you could say Dredge gets it harder. <laughs> but, but I think speaking um, in terms of which which it's, strategy it's which strategy suffers the most at the outside, I, I think Oath just yeah. gets it harder. Because, I mean, for a number of reasons. One, almost every deck had access to Dredge Hate. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, again, some people complain that if you weren't playing black, why would you can't, you know, it's difficult to justify including Leyline. I still think you do. I still think you would and should, or Ravenous Trap, um, but it's still ju- difficult to justify. Whereas, there were just simply colors that had no answer to Oath. Right. Workshops being a good example. <laughs> had just no answer to Oath. Which is why they played the admittedly undesirably costed Witchbane Orb. Right. So. And in and, and other decks, like work, uh, Agro Control decks, had answers to Oath, but never one that answered all of them simultaneously. <laughs> right. So... That's what's really remarkable about this. This card answers every single oath. They could have four oaths in the table. Right. In this That's card. a good point. So, I mean, before you have to have a Nature's Claim for each, or a or Disenchant a for each, mage, or a yeah. Pride Mage for each. Now your Pride Mages can just sit and play and bash while this card does all the work for it, mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. So, I'd like to point out a flip side, though, to the Oath-Dredge comparison, and that is mm-hmm. how do they adjust. While I think Oath is hit harder, it has an easier time adjusting to this card than Dredge does. Dredge has to make more dramatic I'm not sure changes. About that, but go ahead, explain your. Well, reason. how much removal does Dredge play in the main? Well, I think that that's the thing is that Dredge now has to remove. Look, the Dredge decks that I saw, like Mark Hornong's mm-hmm. list that won Vintage Worlds, had already, I think, nine mana producing lands main deck. Oh sure. And certainly has room for four Nature's Claims main deck. I mean, you don't. You could just cut garbage like Sun Titan. I mean, Sun Titan <laughs> is nice. It gets you to your end uh-huh. game. But you can just cut stuff and play four Nature's Claims main deck. You'll have better post-board games, mm-hmm. and you're going to need to do that if people start main-decking these things, and that's fine. Well, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. You just proposed a four-card main-deck change to address yes. this card. Yes. Oath doesn't need to change four cards. Oath decks already play one, one or two adequate removal spells, and sometimes a third or fourth thing like a Beast Within or something thematic. So they have like a Beast Within, a Hercules Recall, and four mental missteps. That's six main-deck answers. Uh, sure. And, and maybe uh, maybe a third removal like a Nature's Claim or a Hercules Recall or something, That's something like that. That's like they said, Hercules Right, yeah. but I'm talking about... I w- I've seen Oath decks that had three main-deck cards that do address this. Yeah. A but Beast Within, a Hercules, and a Nature's Claim. We've seen Oath decks, examine Oath decks, that have two Beast Withins. So yeah. certainly that becomes a more attractive... So what I'm saying is that those Oath decks don't need to add four cards. Sure. They need to add one or two. Right. Maybe three in some strange cases, but... They don't need to adjust as much as Dredge does. Well, the thing is, this and is a dramatic card. When we look at this card, we go, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" Mm-hmm. Look at the, the the scope and the and the <laughs> the potential impact. But I mean, when I saw this card, there were only two experiences that I had. My guys excited about the first was when we saw Trinisphere spoiled. Yeah. The second was when Dave Williams told me that Time Vault had been errated. <laughs> it was a Thursday night, and I was out and about. Mm-hmm. And he called me and said, "Do you remember Time Vault?" So I think those. I mean. That isn't to say that there haven't been tremendously, you know, mind-blowing, mind-bogglingly mm-hmm. cool and innovative cards printed. There have been. Just, you know, I haven't gotten as excited about them as I have this one. That doesn't mean that the format is flipped on its head. You know, <laughs> right. it's like a 3 or 4% change in deck strategies is a dramatic change from the metagame as a whole. And from one card. From one card. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that this card is going to be a vintage staple? Yes or no? Oh, yes. Me too. Do you think this card will see more play than Snapcaster Mage? Yes or no? 
More yes, more play than Snapcaster so, Mage. Little fact that's in my set review coming mm-hmm. up. I every time I read a set review, I like to look back at the previous set and mm-hmm. assess my predictions against what actually happened in the intervening months. Did you think Snapcaster Mage had more top, more or less top eight appearances than Dark Confidant in the same time period since its printing and, and legalization? And, <laughs> well, I, I don't. I'm not armed with all the data, but I say Think less. Actually, had more by really? six by six instances. Six. So there were more six copies. You mean six uh, decks? Oh, not copies, six, six decks. decks. Wow, more popular. There than were 64 I decks with Dark Confidant mm-hmm. that made top eight. 70 with Snapcaster Mage, and then a top eight since its printing. There so Snapcaster go. Mage is basically a Dark Confidant staple. They both are mm-hmm. comparable. It's. I'm not sure that you know. Three months from now, we'll sit, look back, and say there were 70 decks with this in it. I think it's probably more in the 30 to 40 range. Hmm. We'll see, though. I mean, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Do you have the comparative numbers for other dredge hate, like Leyline? Uh, well, Leyline is one of the most played cards. You know what? I take that back. Leyline is one of the most played cards in Vintage. Yeah. It's probably in the top 20. So this card will probably skyrocket. But I'm not sure I'm not sure where it will fall, you well, know, in that question. Like, obviously, there's splintering at, at the, play. The next most popular card from Innistrad was, I believe, Laboratory Maniac, which had nine appearances. So you had a drop-off from 70 to 9. Yeah. You know, and that's not un- un- uncommon. Scars of Mirrodin, though, had a card that was like in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I believe that was Steel Hellkite. Mm-hmm. And then the next card was like maybe in the 40s, Steel Hab- Sabotage. Mm-hmm. So I, I see this more as like a Steel Sabotage card, maybe like 40s or 50s. This but is, This is going to be way more common than Steel Sabotage. No, I think so, too. I think so, too. But I, I think, you know, Steel Sabotage may have like 38 appearances. I think this will have a lot of appearances. I think that what's deceptive is that, unlike Leyline, this is going to be you have people who have a couple of these main deck. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, I mean, Leyline has been the go-to staple mm-hmm. answer for Dredge. I don't see this supplanting that. No. I, I, I think it's going to be... Well, will, will it? That's an interesting question I hadn't seen yeah. posed. I, I don't see this supplanting that. One key reason is that certain decks, the, namely the ones that are Leyline. hurt by this card, won't ever play this. Yeah, that's Dredge right. won't ever play exactly. this in the sideboard, that's where why, they will play Leyline. That's why I'm not sure this will this will see more play than Snapcaster Mage, because the blue decks aren't going to be playing this card. I mean, yeah. the, the power blue decks won't play right. this card. Right, and Oath, play. obviously, unless strange circumstances, won't play this in the I'll, sideboard. I'll stick to my initial prediction. This is going to be a vintage staple, but I think this is going to be a three months from now, two and a half months from now, we're going to look back and say this has appeared in 30 to 40, maybe 50 different top eight well, deck lists. And I think it has also a lot to do with... <laughs> there, there, there's so many overlapping influences here. This deck changes the metagame. Which deck this benefits card, yeah. the most? Does this card go in the deck that yes. benefits the most yes. and therefore increase the number of appearances? Yeah. This, Who's going to play four of this card? Workshops. Workshops yeah, are going to play four of this card. Absolutely, yeah. Almost every workshop deck for the next several months is going to have... And workshop in, in aggro control decks will have these as well. Yeah. For so, sure. So what I'm getting at is if Workshop sees a big renaissance because of the impacts of this card or this set, I should say... Maybe that'll inflate the appearances of this card. That's true. Workshop workshop decks tend to be more uniform. Mm-hmm. You know, in blue decks, there's gush decks, there are confidant decks, snapcaster decks. When you have a card that appears in all workshop decks, like Lodestone Golem, yeah, you get a much higher frequency of percentage oh, top exactly. because every time there's a workshop, that card appears. Exactly. And when you're comparing this card to Snapcaster Mage, it also bears pointing out that this card hurts Snapcaster Mage. Yes. And therefore, if this card's yes. very popular, Snapcaster is going to go down by it definition. Decline. Yeah. So we might see this card actually well, I think a lot rival. Of the, I think a lot of the alarm that people have this card is, this ruins my favorite strategy, or, you know, this kills Oath, this kills Dread. This doesn't kill anything. 
And as what much as any card can kill anything. Yeah. I mean, does anyone think that this card is going to cause Tinker or Yawgmoth's Will to disappear? Any more than Tormod's Crypt makes Yawgmoth's Will disappear, or Hercules Recall makes Tinker disappear? If Leyline no. of the Void and Tormod's Crypt and Jailer haven't stopped Dredge from being played, yeah. then this card, this card is not going to stop Dredge from being played. Right. The big thing they have to adjust. The big thing that's unique is that to the extent that this is a main deck card, mm-hmm. it will cut into Dredge's game one win percentage. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that this is not going to be a uniformly played card. So what you'll actually have is decks that emerge that have game one, higher game one win percentages against Dredge. So there right. will actually be the emergence of a paper to Dredge's rock. This doesn't... You know, this will be cards that have increasingly favorable matchups against Dredge that other decks don't have. I think we can specify which matchups those are. Workshops. workshops if they play if they main deck. And I'm not yeah. convinced that workshops do. And as well. you said, other aggro control strategies. Aggro control decks main deck beats... Is- and 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 uh, fish decks will almost certainly be playing this main deck. It just hits too many things simultaneously. Right. And, and bomberman. bomberman. Yeah. But the question is, how many are they going to play? You know, <laughs> and I mean, how much does that really influence the matchup? The matchup. I mean, certainly you can see, uh, you know, it really affecting the oath matchup. But if you're you to take a, a cross section of the metagame today, and you were to sit down with a beats deck, yes. for example, and you th- you throw four of these let's, guys let's in your deck, there. yeah, then you're not going to be helping yourself against the whole metagame. Very much. The, one of the things that's so important is, that, and I think that it's unique, it is, in, and I think this is going to trip up a lot of people who are looking at the Tinker Yawgmoth's Will impact, mm-hmm. is that there have been lots of cards that answer Yawgmoth's Will and lots of cards that answer Tinker, but never a card that answers both simultaneously. Which is impressive. That is impressive, <laughs> and that's difficult to account for because most people look at those effects and they say, well, you know, he's got a Jason play, I can't go Tinker, I guess I'll just go Will and right. then assemble the Time Ball combo or whatever. Which shows you that in terms of strategic finishers, taking out one usually causes the opponent to fall back on the other. And by taking out one, you've actually increased the utility of the other. Not right. just because you made it more likely that the other is going to resolve, because you've expended a card answering, to, stop, to, preemptively stop, stop the other. to stop the other. So this is very unique in that it, it preempts both of the most powerful strategies simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to compare it to something like Nullrod. Null Rod or Stony Silence are clearly great fish cards. Mm-hmm. And they indirectly impact Yawgmoth's Will and Tinker. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, if, you have a, if your opponent has a Stony Silence or a Null Rod in play, they can't just go, like, Mox, Mox, Land, Tinker. Mm-hmm. So it slows Tinker. Mm-hmm. Certainly Chalice is a great example of something that stops Tinker. Because if you go Chalice the Void on turn one, they can't actually get their Mox in place. So they're looking for their Soul Ring mm-hmm. or Sensei's Divining Top in order to Tinker. Right. So Chalice also stops Yawgmoth's Will because part of the value of Yawgmoth's Will is recurring Black Lotus and playing Moxen that you drew during your Yawgmoth's Will turn mm-hmm. to f- continue to fuel the spells you want to play from your graveyard and to continue to to, um, to fuel... Uh, Searching and... Yes. So, yeah, and so on and so forth. So this card actually functions a little bit like that. But the difference is that this card doesn't actually stop any of the cards that build up to Yawgmoth's Will, unlike Nullrod. <laughs> so when you play Nullrod on turn one... Your opponent can't go land, land, mana, crypt, jace. Right. You know, and then dig or, you know, play... It's a more fundamental... Or play Mox Sapphire, Brainstorm, Mox Sapphire, Preordain. Right. It disrupts them at a more fundamental level. It, it disrupts them in a more targeted level. Level. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful when it's targeting. But you have to imagine you're, you're a, a big blue player, and you're sitting there, and, you're too, and you've got a very focused deck, like maybe the deck I played the mean deck open recently, which really only had Tinker, Yawgmuscle, and Time Vault with mm-hmm. jaces as win conditions. When you topple two of the strategic finishers that you have in your deck, mm-hmm. you're very limited. You f- it's, it's much more limiting than just toppling one of the three. Mm-hmm. And when you topple, you know, Tinker, you actually take out some access to Time Vault. 
And you ta- right. take out Yawgmoth's will, you you take out some access to tinker in your Time Vault as well. L- let's be clear. This card doesn't stop you from tinkering for Time Vault. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Okay. But 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 what it does is it, it prevents you... Exactly. It does not do that. But it does prevent you from using a Yawgmoth's will to go find a Key Vault. Or, so. Yeah. So you can still tinker for Time Vault or tinkle, tinker for Black Lotus. Yeah. But tinkering for Black Lotus loses its value when right. you can't Yawgmoth's will. Right. So there are indirect effects that mm-hmm. need to be accounted for. And, I mean... Well, there it is. I mean, the point is that it's very powerful to take out two strategic finishers because mm-hmm. you're when this thing is in play and you're a blue deck, you are much more limited. So typically you would say these gushes and these jaces are still very useful because I can use them to achieve the other finisher. Right, right. But if you take out both, you're just gushing and jacing into what? <laughs> into nothing or on, on trying to assemble Time Vault. But mm-hmm. if they have a Phyrexian Revoker on Time Vault in play, you're actually doing a lot for nothing. Mm-hmm. It's like... The the Gosslaver deck we had that had four thirst for knowledge and four <laughs> and four intuition. AK. All it did was draw cards. And all it did was draw cards into a Yawgmoth's will. Yeah. How would that deck fare against this? Yeah. yeah. Pretty brutalizing. So let's talk about the practical impact of that then. If yeah. you're playing the sort of blue deck that has the triumvirate of Yawgmoth's will, Tinker, and Key Vault. Yes. And someone resolves this on the first turn. Let's say they're playing a beats deck. Yes. Aggro controlish deck. They go turn one cage, and you look at your hand of all this draw and tutoring. <laughs> How is that going to affect you? What is your game plan? What are, what are your strategic objectives? To me... Vintage players just sit down and play the decks. They right. don't really think, what's my strategic objective? But they are going to be forced to confront that question now. Which I love. And the, yeah, I do too. And I think it's, it's going to be interesting because basically you are now... Your, your strategic objective can be resolved, Tinker or Yawgmoth's Will, but there's an intermediate step that has to be achieved, which right. is removing this card. Right. So your draw can still accomplish the same end, but there's an intermediate step of your tutors have to be diverted mm-hmm. to Hercules Recall or Trigon Predator or something like that that can remove this spell. <clears throat> and any time you make a Type 1 deck slow down, you've done yourself a service. Absolutely. I mean, it's very powerful. and That's why the Null Rod Stony Silence is so good mm-hmm. at what it does. Mm-hmm. And the question then... So we know it's effective at making them slow down. It, it creates hurdles for these end game scenarios. Yeah. It narrows their options to either remove this or go get Key Vault right. to be productive. Right. My question is then, what are you cutting from a Beats deck that you're currently playing that this is better than? Well, how many do you think you're going to play? In, in a Trinket Mage style deck like Bomberman, I think you're playing play, one. In the I think main. you could play two. Yeah, I think I think in most of Beats or Fish decks, you're probably going to play one or two. I mean, you could pro- if you have Trinket Mage, you can justify running one. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're probably playing two or three. I think that's that, where you start. That's where I was going to go next, yeah. is two or three probably in anything that's just a green X aggro deck. You hit enough of the metagame that you get enough value that yeah. it's fine. You also really, really hurt combo if anyone plays that. They can't get muscle or take powerful risk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, almost all of the combo engines are eventually channeled into a lethal Yawgmoth's will. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the benefit of Mind's Desire or any of the Draw 7s, mm-hmm. should anyone be unwise enough to play those, is to channel them into a lethal Yawgmoth's Will. That's what Draw 7s do. Because they generate the, the critical mass to build... At the same time, removing a problematic artifact from play in order to go off is not a new concept right. for any of those decks. So there's going to be tactical fights over the, 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 the cage. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen is that the, the blue-black player is going to try and fight to remove it mm-hmm. or achieve other ends... And the fish beats deck is going to fight to keep it in play mm-hmm. with their counter magic mm-hmm. and, and through tempo. This card creates tempo. I mean, it, it does. It, it's a really interesting card because it doesn't, unlike Null Rod, it hits almost none of the intermediate steps, which Null Rod does. Right. So Null Rod is more targeted in the sense that it hits all the intermediate steps. But not the in, end game. In, indirectly, hits the end game. Yeah. But not directly the end game. This is the inverse. So to go back to my that. question then, do you think you're cutting Null Rods for this in a beats deck? 
Well, I think BeatStack should be running Stony Silence if they can, anyway. Same question, though. And, and, and that just reinforces the need for Stony Silence, because you don't want all of your artifacts to be Hercules simultaneously. Um, but uh, I, I think uh, if you were running like a fourth Null Rod, you can probably, or Stony Silence, you can shave off the fourth and make room for this card. But not not increasing your overall disruptive permanence I think package. actually Null Rod becomes more important in some ways because it hits Time Bolt. <laughs> so diversity. Diver- Diver- drawing a cage and a rod is much better than drawing two rods or two cages. Similarly, Revoker becomes better because uh, Revoker hits the Jace and the, the yeah. Time Bolt. If you have if you have a, a Fraxium Revoker in play, naming Time Bolt, and this card in play, you've hit all the things that they can do besides uh, yeah. actually ultimate jacing, which is not viable when your opponent has all these creatures. So. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of hard to ultimate jace when there's a Revoker in play. <clears throat> all right, so big winners, big losers. Well, what do you think? I think the big winners are workshops and, and aggro and beat stacks. Like we said, mm-hmm. um, workshops get new options against Oath, which are much better. And yeah. if Oath is hurt, then all of the creature decks get better. Yeah. <laughs> get a little bit of a Let me bomb. ask you, would you main deck this in workshops? <sighs> I hate that question. Because I... <laughs> That's the question everyone's going everyone's yeah. to be trying to answer. I, I think yes. The short answer is yes. How many? The, that's the question, is how many and where do they go? Yeah. If you're playing Null Rods today, I think you immediately look for a mixture of Null Rods in this. I I can see cutting a Chalice or two. If, yeah, if this I don't card... go down to two Chalices, so maybe one Chalice if you're running four. But you can't overdo it on this card. You, I don't think you can run four. I don't I think, think so you can. I think three is the max and two is the right number in, in many cases. I have two other interesting questions. Does this card... Move, move us back in the direction of control workshop strategies somewhat? Well, that's a very interesting question. It's so cheap that it, it facilitates the control strategies more yes, because you want to get does. more permanence. You, those decks but that relied on smokestack more. But there's also the flip side. It's a great tempo card. Yeah. You know, you really is. force your opponent to try and they must answer it. And when to... you turn a null rod into one of these, it opens you up to a whole bunch of other sequences that you couldn't get with null rod. Or with yeah, with Null yeah. Rod in the past, just the one mana I reduction think this makes card a big difference. Just replaces Null Rod. People were running it. Really, I do, in, in workshops. I don't agree. I think that Null Rod still has such a powerful place, and it's more diverse. That I think you want a mixture of them. So, what do you think? What's your answer? I don't beat around the bush. Kevin. I think if you're running four Null Rods, you start by cutting two well, of no, them. No two workshop deck has four Null Rod. Oh, I know. Okay. So. Well, I was trying to come with low hanging yeah. fruit. <laughs> I think if you're running if you're three Null Rods, deck, I turn one. Are you playing? Just, I, Two, two or three. Main deck. Yeah, okay. main deck. It's good. I, but this promotes so many other things, like you said. I wanted to touch on the fact that this has powerful synergy, I know, with uh, Ravager, which mm. is an underplayed card in Type mm. 1. Explain. Uh, just the fact that you get disruptive permanence that you can... And then you can use it on the lethal turn. And then you can lose it on a lethal turn, yeah. such that your opponent gets no benefit from you sacking this on a lethal turn. Yeah. It's not like a Null Rod, where as soon as you sack it, they might do something dangerous. Right. They might have the mana all of a sudden to hurt mm-hmm. you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But with Ravager, the, Ravager doesn't get hurt by this card in any realistic way that I can right. see. And it's just one disruptive permanent that's very cheap. That's yes. what, what the Ravagers yes. want. Yes. And now, I don't, I'm not saying there's a big Ravager deck that comes out, but just one more permanent could... Could be the thing. Maybe it's just that Ravager starts showing up and works up aggro decks more. Well, I don't know if Ravager is ultimately going to emerge from this card, but I think this card. This card. There's a couple, two questions that I think you're you're framing. One is, what cards does this help? Which yeah. is a question you made explicit. But the second question is, what card, what decks might this help create? And and you're saying Affinity might be a strategy that could emerge or reemerge in the yeah. vintage because of this card's printing. And Affinity could only really manifest. Okay. Affinity could be two things. It can be 
what you think of as old affinity decks with yeah. the artifact lands and all that jazz. Yeah. Or it could just be a, a, a splashing aggro. of affinity cards, more aggro. Maybe you get a workshop aggro deck that has some skull yeah. clamp in it or well, something like that. Well, in the last like Dush era, there was a lot of, like, Ravager trite decks because you could move the counters onto Triskelion. Right, and get, and get some reach that way. I think that this... Du- I'm not sure whether this helps workshop control or workshop aggro. I think it helped both, but I'm not sure which it helps more. I hadn't actually... I hadn't really given much thought to the whole workshop control aspect, but that's very interesting as well. But I think the thing it does do is it really hurts Koldotha. Oh, yeah. Forge Master, because the best thing you can do is, is find certain singleton creatures. Yeah. Like Steel Hawkeye, Trike, blah, 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 Sundering yeah. Titan. I also think this card, and I talk about this in my set review, all of these things, that it kills welders. I mean, the, the welder, the, the, to the extent that there were people who played Red Workshops, that's gone. <laughs> really? I mean, I mean you, the best thing you can do with the welder is to, is to weld in a trike or a lodestone golem. Or a duplicate. And you just can't do that now. Because well, you can't bring a creature card. Yes, you can weld this out. Yeah. But I just don't see... Well, that's that's not going to be a reliable solution. I, yeah, I just don't see people... I mean, it, when this card is seeing a lot of play, I just don't see... Why would you... You know, welder is no longer... Loses. Yeah. To the extent that welder was playable, I think huh. that the, the red workshop splash is over. Yeah. I really think this puts the nail in that coffin. It will be very interesting to see the impact of this on the Kadolfa Forge Master decks that were so popular in Europe. Right. So. Agreed. What else do we want to say about this? And we will only touch the surface regarding the metagame impacts. We right. haven't even touched on the, whole, on the rest of the things we said were interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, have at it. What is- so let's just talk about from a design standpoint. What was mm-hmm. this card? Why did they design this card this way? Why is this card in Dark Ascension? It's pretty clear, in my opinion, that this card is very powerfully pointed at Flashback, yes. which we know is a, yes. is a theme of Innistrad block. It very directly impacts that. Obviously, you can't cast cards in graveyards. Yes. But what's this Or Libraries business? That is such a narrowly targeted thing, and it hits so many patently obscure cards. Yes. Cards that aren't being played in any competitive format that I could yes. think of. It hits random things like Future Sight and Mages of the Future, Pangalatial Worm, and, and other esoteric things like Is there any card... I, I have virtually no knowledge of Standard. Is there some card in, in Standard that allows you to play cards from your libraries? No. There's like cards that allow you to search out and find cards in your library, like like Birthing Pod. Is this does this this neuters? Well, yeah, creatures can't enter the battlefield from That's Great Birds. What this line. is for then? But I'm not talking about that line. I'm talking about players can't cast cards in Graveyards or libraries. That's the thing. The libraries part of that is so bizarrely narrowly targeted. Yes, it does hurt Birthing Pod, but it's the other sentence there. Well, maybe maybe it's it's designed for symmetry. Look, could be. Now, I, see, that's a very defensible I, yeah, reason. I think. I think this card to me is brilliantly designed. I mean, it's <laughs> really brilliant. And much kudos, much kudos goes to Eric Lauer for this card. I mean, it's, <laughs> really? it's amazing. The thing about this card that's ama- that's that's so interesting is, while it is so broad in its scope, it's also so well tailored. Yeah. So it neuters Yogmas will, but it doesn't neuter Crucible of Worlds. Yeah. It neuters Oath of Druids, but it doesn't neuter Mind's Desire. So one of the things that you're queuing into is it prevents you from playing cards out of graveyards or libraries, but not the exile zone. So cards like Mind's Desire continue to be functional, which is great. You don't you want this to hit as broadly as possible and no further. As broadly as necessary and no further. So you that's a very interesting thing, the symmetry aspect of it. Yes. You you just analyzed it in one sense. They included the the library's restriction on the second sentence. Because it would have stood out as an imbalance compared to the first sentence if it yes. wasn't there. My understanding is that this card was was aimed at problems in the future future league. 
Yeah. And it was designed to solve specific problems. I think you're right. Flashback was one of the problems. I don't know for sure. I think obviously there was a problem with probably birthing pod based on what you just said. Could be. And to the extent that it solves, the the solution to flashback is preventing people from playing cards out of graveyards. Mm -hmm. Fine. Um, But preventing uh, creatures from coming out of libraries is the other part. And then it's you just, and, and, but by making it symmetry, you, uh, yeah. by adding the other the other zone to well, both lines, creatures creatures can we otherwise about this. it would read just before you say yeah. otherwise it would read creature cards can't enter the battlefield from libraries and players can't cast cards out of graveyards that would be a kind of a strange card right <laughs> I agree it, it yeah. lacks elegance in that sense yeah. the the creature cards entering play from libraries is no real shocker we've been analyzing it in the sense of tinker and oath because just from a vintage standpoint, but in other Eternal formats, cards come into play at the libraries all the time via Green Sun Zenith, Birthing Pod, Natural Order. These are common strategies right, right. in other Eternal formats. Right. So that aspect doesn't surprise me too much. But, but what if this wasn't targeted for, for Eternal? Right. Well, and I don't, I can't confirm or deny whether it or not wasn't. it was. <laughs> yeah. I don't... Uh, uh, this was made of awareness of Eternal, but it wasn't sure. designed Wizards for. is on record saying they don't design for Eternal formats, just yeah. patently. Yeah. That, no, no, now, that's not true. They definitely do design, have, have designed yeah. cards. Mark Rosewater said they designed cards for, chal- for uh, Chalice of the Void for Vintage, for Eternal formats. Really? Yeah. But and, I thought as a, as a policy, Golem, they generally don't. No, and Lotus Golem was designed by Eric Lauer for Vintage. Well... Maybe he represents some kind cards. of some kind of sea change in that group. I, I don't know, but I thought that they were document that they had quotes on record that say they don't test. They don't legacy. test, but that doesn't mean they aren't designing cards for for the formats. Well, that seems pretty irresponsible, doesn't it? Not necessarily. They have an understanding that that these formats can hand, formats can handle it. I think experience has shown that they can. Hmm. Interesting. Well, be that as it may, I'm not here to criticize them for yeah. that. But but the I would I am pretty clear that th- that this card was not developed to hose Yogmoth's will. Right. Not developed to hose Tinker right. specifically, but implicitly in hosing other things that may be yes. coming out of Innistrad block and yeah. maybe just this set. Right. <clears throat> Reanimation also, we haven't touched on really. Mm-hmm. It, it hits Dread Return in Vintage in two different ways. You can't cast it out of your graveyard, yeah. and if you could, the creature wouldn't come right. into play anyway. Right. But it seems pretty clear that Innistrad has a reanimation theme going on as well. So, well, you've made some some hay about the fact that it says creature cards. I, you know, I don't want to belabor that That's point fine. a whole lot. I, I I understand there are rules implications, and at the very least, it's clarifying. I have simply made a point on Twitter today, in fact, and in some other forums, that I thought this card would still function properly if you didn't have the word cards as the second word in its text. Yeah, creatures can't enter the battlefield. Some people have clarified for me that there are reasons why that is, and I, I, I concede that. Mm-hmm. What's more interesting to me upon my, maybe a second or third reading of this card is why the Exile Zone is not affected. Yeah. Creatures can enter play I'm really glad that into the battlefield yeah. from the Exile Zone, and you can cast creatures from the Exile Zone via things like Cascade and Suspend. And, and Mind's Desire. And Mind's Desire. Yeah. So I was very I played, curious why I they excluded Colossi that. I from the Mind's Desire Exile Zone right, every time. Right, right. There are many perfectly defensible, I think, reasons to have included and have impacted the Exile Zone with this card, and I'm just curious why they didn't. Well, again, I think I think this is the genius of this card. This card is, I think, genius. I mean, it really <laughs> is. Like, I, I, I'll, I'm not the kind of person who would call things genius. Okay. And how many times have you heard me say that? Probably very rarely. Not a lot. So this is, this is uh, and I think part of the genius here is it's how well-tailored it is. I mean, again, they could have said, couldn't they have said players can't play? Cards in gra- from graveyards or libraries? Well, it was a while back that they changed. They made a distinction between, between playing casting, and casting. Yeah, right. but I think but they still could you use still that word. You still, right? yeah, that would have so prevented they land said play. play. Yeah, and instead they said cast. 
which allows you to play lands from graveyards. So that, I mean, Crucible is, uh, it was excluded. And you can still play lands through in a, in a Yawgmoth's Well Turn, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Which is great. I mean, the allow, <laughs> I mean, the fact that you still allow Crucible is very important because that allows workshops, you know, to mm-hmm. continue in, in beat stacks to use Crucible. The and, flip side of that, though, is by specifically excluding the Exile Zone, a, a very good example is that certain cards, just depending on how they're templated, can basically skirt this card completely. Plain. Living Death. Living Death is a mass reanimation spell. Yeah. If you were to think about that card from a top-down perspective, you would say, well, the cage should shut that off. You creatures can't come into play. But in reality, what Living Death does is it exiles all creatures in the graveyards first. Then it puts the stuff in play into the graveyards, yeah. and then the creatures that were previously exiled come well, into play. Well, Metavik has quite a ta- task now, because there is, a, again, this is the, the second card in Magic history that prevents you from playing cards <laughs> right. from, from, graveyards. from graveyards. And it might be the first card that prevents you... No, it's the creatures from coming into play from graveyards? From graveyards? I think yeah. that is the first from so, graveyards specifically. So there's never been a functionality question around that templating. Now there will be. So you're going to have to ask the question. Matt Tabby's going to have to wrestle with the original functionality versus right. text issue well, in interacting with this, interfacing with this card. I would not be surprised to see some cards get a, a functionality errata as a res- result of this card. When uh, yeah, the, our our when teammate the, JP recently posted on to us that that this has very interesting impacts for future decisions like that. And yes. I agree. I think this is just another one of those things, like Time Vault and many other examples, yeah. where now there's this can of worms, basically, that this card. The scope of this card is going to change. I can almost guarantee that the scope of this card is going to change relative to cards printed before it right. a number of times well, in the future. Well, anytime you print new new lines of text like this, yeah. you know, entirely novel effects, yeah. you, you run into that question. You yeah. know, because that's in fact that's the that's the paradigm example, right? Yeah. Which is where you create you have a card that has a clear functionality based upon the existing card pool. Mm-hmm. Then you have a new card that interfaces with it, mm-hmm. entirely new you know, how does that original functionality Interact. There are lots of cards in modern, for example, right now that could be dramatically impacted by this if they went back into the mm-hmm. simple retemplating. Living end is a is a entire deck. Remind me. That's the living the suspend living death variant where okay. you cascade into the like black black one or something. Uh, black cas- black. T- I forget I don't the know. suspend okay. cost, but <laughs> it's not it's not paid, so yeah. I don't remember what it is. Yeah. Um, but that's a that's the living death variant that was to suspend that reanimates big fatties. That that could be neutered completely by this card if they just tweaked. And, and that shows you that how well tailored this is. The fact yeah. that they didn't they they saw the problem, they targeted it, mm-hmm. and then they hit it. What, I mean, the idea of narrow tailoring, which is so important in law and I think in card design, is remarkable here because the scope is so enormous. So yeah. like it seems like almost silly to say this card is narrowly tailored, but it quite clearly is. Yeah. And then you just pointed yeah. out several ways, and I think it is as well. Circling back to the impact this card will have in Vintage, I think that the impact that this card is going to have on blue and black decks, control and combo decks, is also going to be noticeable. I think the main effect, and this is what I talk about extensively in my set review, is it will, and I said it a little bit on the Mandarin, is it will force the diversification, the increased diversification of finishers, strategic mm-hmm. finishers. So right now, the trend in Vintage has been to, to consolidate, to um, narrow the number of finishers to reduce the number of finishers to a, the most focused few, mm-hmm. like to focus the number of finishers to basically time vault, uh, which indirectly is the finisher of Jays, yeah, Tinker and Yogmos will. There have you know, but I think there we're going to see maybe a ne- slight increase in other finishers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, 
Remember back in the day when before, like, you know, Mirrodin, how uh-huh. you used cards like Psychotog and... Morphling. Morphling. <laughs> but, right. but more more like, you know, Psychotog was... Psychotog is a good example. You can, right now, psych, gush with Psychotog. Yep. And you can make a gigantic Psychotog, and then you could Cutting Wish or, or Berserk it yep. and win the game. It was the tinker of its day, yep. you know? Um, and, you know, maybe... I, I don't necessarily think Psychotog is the card, but I do think there are two cards in particular that are going to see a lot... I don't think Empty the Warrens is going to see a huge spike. I think we'll see a slight spike. Okay. Because, but I think that it, the reason what it'll be held back is because Yawgmoth's will and Empty the Warrens is such a, you know... If your Yawgmoth's will is neutered, your Empty is much less powerful, so. It's much more like a repeal into Empty, yeah. which repeal obviously gets better with this card. Yeah. Um, but I think that the two cards I think are going to see play, and I talk a lot about this in my set review, is Tezzeret 1 and Tezzeret 2. Tezzeret 1, because Time Vault becomes so much better. Yeah. Tezzeret 2, I think, is actually going to be the Dark Horse. That's the card that I expect to see a lot of. Number of reasons. One, I think that we're in an environment now where creatures get a lot better. Mm-hmm. You know, and I do want to seg into that. The, <laughs> I want to talk more generally about the set. The second is that Tesseret actually supports Time Vault because mm-hmm. it's like a it's it's a source of card advantage. The first Tesseret ability on Tesseret Agent of Bolas is to you know card is card advantage naturally. And it, it by creating five five you know it actually make you know it can make any of your artifacts, including this one, if you had happened to play, uh-huh. <laughs> into a five five. Um, and that is very good in an environment where people are playing Tarmogoyf. Yeah, it defends against Tarmogoyf very well. Um, so I think Tezzeret Agent of Bolas is a, is is better positioned. Mm-hmm. If people are going to be throwing in another win condition, I think Tezzeret Agent of Bolas is where it's at right now. I think you're going to see Time Vault. You might see something like this in blue-black control decks. You're going to see probably like Time Vault, Tinker, Yawgmoth's Will, maybe a Tezzeret Agent of Bolas, and a Tezzeret the Seeker. Interesting. Or just a Tezzeret Agent of Bolas, or maybe two Tezzeret Agents of Bolas. But that's where it's at. There are so many delicious tensions there, because <laughs> I, in addition to what you're describing in terms of strategic diversity, people are also, <clears throat> in these blue-based decks, naturally going to include additional artifact destruction, or yes, hate. definitely. So you're going to see one more Nature's Claim, or you're going to see more repeals, or you're going to see two Hercules, yes. or just strange variances. Gorilla Shaman. One more thing. Which inherently makes artifacts weaker. Yep. So workshops, while they benefit a great deal from this hate card that doesn't hurt them, yes. it's as- purely asymmetrical for yes. them. At the same time, they're also going to be facing another removal spell in the main deck from a lot of these decks. So there's this great tension. So a lot of people are saying, man, workshops benefit the most. They're dominant. Right. Not necessarily. Your right. point is very well taken. If people start main decking two Nature's Claims or three... Or add re- another Trigon yeah, Predator. Three Repeals. A, sh- a Gorilla Shaman. Right. Then workshops, yeah, workshop player. If if workshops goes, you know, land cage and blue player goes land shaman, yeah. who do you think's at the advantage right. there? Right. I mean, I, I definitely <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think that the response from blue black decks is certainly going to be twofold. Mm-hmm. It's going to be add another win condition or two, mm-hmm. you know, like a Tezzeret agent of Bolas and empty the Warrens, and add in one or two more ways to deal with this. Probably just one, mm-hmm. you know, like so if you have. You know, two Trigon Predator, you might add a Nature's Claim as well, mm-hmm. you know, and it hits shops at the same time. So, I mean, that both speaks to how marginal this changes, this change, the changes this card might create are, right. but also how dramatic it are. They because, could be far-reaching. Because there's so many secondary and tertiary effects that you can't, the system is so complex, and there's mm-hmm. the immediate effects, and there's the effects of that effect, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what uh, spillover effects, and what are the collateral effects. So, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a very keen... A uh, bit of insight there. I can't wait to see it all play out. It's going to be amazing. Um, 
the other thing that I think um, blue black decks might you know attempt to do, I mean, a lot of the time it's just going to be easier to try and remove it, but a lot of time it's not. I think mm-hmm. probably most of the time it's yeah, not. You're not going to have that. Option. You're going to have to build around. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see if we can get some of the old school cards back. Maybe someone's going to throw in a Maloku or <laughs> you know or a Psychotog here and there. You know, I think I'm the, not hopeful. I think that Tezzeret is the old school card. <laughs> yeah, at this point. <laughs> in, the, in that analogy. I think Tezzeret, Agent of Bullos is definitely... I mean, and that's another example of a secondary effect. Yeah. You know, it's not on the face of it apparent why Tezzeret, Agent of Bullos would be a uh, response to this card, but it will be. So how do you think Vintage is going to look in a couple months with Cage? I I think we're going to see a little bit more workshop. I think we're going to see a little, well, probably a lot less oath. Um, and I think dredge will be still basically where it is with more removal in the main. Maybe a little less prevalent and more creature decks. When do people typically play oath in your estimation? I don't know. <laughs> I have this theory. I, I've played oath a few times. Yeah, a few different cases. We played basically the first vintage oath deck. No, that's that's, that's true. The first one post orchard printing in yeah. Kamigawa. When orchard was printed, we took it and annihilated a top eight. But that was an awesome deck. So yeah. I liked that deck, and I have since played uh, a couple different iterations of your gush oath deck with Tidespot mm-hmm. Tyrant. That deck's pretty fun. Yeah, I don't have a very strong stomach for oath though. I have just too many dead cards. <clears throat> Oath is, you know, Demar's Brian really criticized Oath. Yeah. In the past, you know, he said it's a one one of the, one tactic that will never win the Vintage Championship with Trench. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But I think we'll that, I think there are basically two instances where people play Oath. One is opportunism. So there's a moment where Oath is really good in the metagame, like sure. it's when you shift towards creatures. Sure. And the other is basically like players who don't play a lot of Vintage, who are looking for like a blue control deck they want to play, often play Oath. It has a little bit of a Johnny aspect to it, also. So I think Cage will deter the first type, but not the second. Well, I don't expect Oath to disappear by any yeah. stretch. But Oath is, like you said, it's always it, it rears its head for a little bit, and, In, and for the last several years, it hasn't been. Come open. May, will will Snapcaster have appeared in more top eights or Dark Confidant? I think Snapcaster is going to take a big dip. We already a big touched dip, like fifty percent. I would 25%. say a thirty to forty percent reduction in Snapcaster appearances. Wow, <clears throat> that might be reasons. the most dramatic change then of anything. Well, it could be, but the <laughs> thing is, I think Snapcaster is getting the worst of both ends. It is neutered by Cage. If there's a Cage in play, your Snapcaster is mm-hmm. pretty bad. And also, if there is a tendency towards more threats, more diversity of threats from blue decks or more creature decks in general, or if Workshops gets better. Snapcaster is just not so great in those scenarios, but I think. But isn't Snapcaster part of that trend? <laughs> well, but then it's weakened by the, the presence of the cage, though. And so I think if you're building a Snapcaster deck, you're you're basically intentionally building a blue deck that is even weaker to cage. That reminds <laughs> you've me. You've got the Tinker yeah. and the Ogmoth's Will, so you need the strategic diversity, but then you've got another threat that's also hurt by the cage. <laughs> so it's not helping your strategic diversity, and it's just that much worse if the cage is in play. I just... Given that Snapcaster is a recoup, it also reminds me of this card neuters gifts. Like if gifts were unrestricted right now, oh, very think how much worse it would be. Very interesting. I mean, like <laughs> because the gifts deck was like just like the you know, it was a super focused Tinker Will deck. Yeah. What else? What else did gifts do? What else could gifts do? All it could do at this point would be gifts for value. Just brainstorm ancestral merchant. <laughs> and all scroll. those cards are restricted. <laughs> yeah. So you get we got one of those, and it's not even good enough to really. And with mental misstep in the format. Like if those gi- value gifts are if tough. If they ever unrestricted gifts, 
this card is there to keep it in check. Very interesting. You know what's also funny is this card neuters Flash. Yeah, the Flash help combo. Doesn't work. Factor Fiction also loses a ton of value as well. <laughs> so I'll be the... And, and, and in fact, the Control Slaver decks. I mean, aside... Think about it. How did they recur Mind Slaver? With Welder. Goblin Welder. Yep. Goblin Welder loses a lot of value. Well, Goblin Welder can still weld in a slaver. But it can't well it can't recur it with Penavis. That's true. A lot of the So you can only you, you are limited. Crucible. To Crucible there plus the Citadel is your is your only real long term yeah. plan at that point. But that deck hasn't been a thing for quite a while, despite Brian's efforts to Mark resuscitate Horno it. Playing Forbidden Alchemy. That's true, time. that's true. But Forbidden Alchemy is another one of those cards. Like yeah. Thirst for Knowledge and Fact, they get a lot weaker when you can't get the extra value. And, and gifts. Yeah. yeah. And Ancient Grudge. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Ancient Grudge is probably going to take a little bit of a dip, too, because it's not nearly so good against your cage-playing workshop opponents. So do you think this this card has a positive or negative effect on Vintage Cage? I think it's positive. Me too. I think it's, it's just going to contribute to diversity. I like things that make Vintage have to be more threat-dense. <laughs> <laughs> I... Well, I enjoy to play a laser-focused vintage deck. I I mean, that is something I like to play, but for the health of the format, I believe forcing, quote-unquote, blue control decks to have four now or five diverse strategies, I just think it it, it contributes to the skill from a deck-building standpoint, Mm -hmm. contributes Mm -hmm. to skill from sideboarding, Mm -hmm. contributes to in-game skill and choosing (laughs) your strategies. It's just This card accelerates the meta trend that we, in Counterspell Suite configuration that we talked about last time. You know, that brings up an interesting point. The Oh, geez. Two interesting points now. There, I saw someone, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who on the Mana Drain, say they thought this contributed more to a coin flippy style format. Hmm. As though to say, if you get this down, then you win that game. And then if you don't the next game, then they win that game. I couldn't disagree more. This card is not, while it does very well at shutting down certain strategies, there's no strategy in Vintage right now that can't deal with its hate. Mm-hmm. Dredge is the best example of that. Yeah. People pack in seven or more sideboard cards, <laughs> including ley lines that are uncounterable, and yet the deck and, just and says, one, hey, one vintage yeah, just blow that up and now I'll go off. I mean, there isn't a deck in the format that can't deal with its own hate, or with the thing that it's going to face right now. Was there a single deck at the Vintage Championship top eight that didn't have graveyard hate besides the minus, the minus, minus six? six. Uh, no. I mean, there were different degrees, of course, yeah. but... And then Dredge still won. Yeah, so. Dredge still won, yeah. So... Uh, uh, no, this I so to that particular point I was referring to. I don't think this contributes to randomness in this format. I don't think it makes it more coin flippy. All it does is contribute to diversity, and and an under, and it rewards people who understand the format and the metagame mm-hmm. and how to prepare. I think it's great. The impact on legacy is potentially interesting too. Natural order and green sun zenith. Yeah. Being. So prominent. Yeah, and you can't fetch out a dryad arbor anymore either. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it has interesting impacts in Legacy, too. I but, think you're, I think one of the points you... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Legacy tends more towards strategic diversity than Vintage does, though. Yeah, I think one of the points that you made much earlier on in the discussion that was very important, which is that the, 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 most of the actually run Leyline are not going to substitute this card for Leyline. Mm-hmm. But some... This will supplement Leyline mm-hmm. and be better than Leyline in certain decks, but not all. So, I mean, um, you know... One of the reasons being that you can still dredge and you can still activate Bizarre, mm-hmm. you know. I think people should be very careful in how they test this card against dredge. Make sure your dredge-playing opponent knows what their options are like. And Dredge players, this is a good point, dredge players will need to develop a new strategy for dealing with this card in play. And Jailer, while... They'll need a plan. Jailer is not uncommon, but it is pretty far down the list in terms of dredge hate. Mm-hmm. And so... 
it's people aren't quite as used to playing against a card that still allows them to fully dredge. Yes. This card doesn't stop your bizarre, and it doesn't stop your dredge. It's very I'm, interesting in that way, because all it does is stop you from doing anything else. On that thought, let me ask you a question that I came across in writing my set review. One of the things I talk about is that Dredge is going to have to reconfigure its hate a bit. Mm-hmm. Certainly, Ancient Grudge loses tons of its luster. Yep. But what about Chain of Vapor? Because typically you chain Leyline and then you, you know... And there's so much value in that play because Leyline doesn't come right back down. Right. So you I mean, can confidently like have two turns, for example, or more once you've, resol- once you've removed the Leyline. Right, but this thing just comes right back down. You have to have a plan. But that's why I say it's so relevant that you get the Dredge still. Yes. Because you can set up the game-winning plan. You can put all the Cabal Therapies in your graveyard. Right. But how do you get the creature into play, the turn that you chain? That's the thing, is that even with... Even yeah. with, with yeah. <laughs> well, but right. it's not it's not that tricky to set up. I mean, between Bloodgast and Narc Amoeba and So Icarus, you bounce it, and then you play... A, you have, so you have to hold a land, get yeah. a great Cabal Therapy in your graveyard, or and, and a, and a Bloodgast. Try, try to do a lucky dredge of a dozen cards and get a Narc Amoeba. You know, you'll know the odds, because you'll yeah. be able to sp- measure the significant portion of your library into your graveyard. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that skilled dredge players will be able to sculpt game scenarios to deal with this by manipulating their dredging to a measured degree. I was just wondering, I mean, what artifact hate can you add if you're dredged besides Nature's Claim? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's Oxidize, which saw play before I, Nature's Claim. I don't think this is a quantity okay. issue per se. I was se. thinking that you'd want, because Ancient Grudges is not going to do it anymore. That's, so you're going to have to cut Ancient Grudges true. and add another one. What's the next artifact removal for, for uh, dredge? I think Oxidize, Oxidize is a pretty good example. You've got Crumble. Well, I mean, <laughs> how, much, how much more do you need to go for it other than 12? Well, Between how many four, there's there's a nature's claim, and then there's often a race and uh, simplify. There's plenty of one wax wanes, wax wanes. Yeah, there's plenty of one casting costing enchantment. But what about our artifact removal? There's not. Oh, well, you're right. Oxidize was the yeah. standard for a long time when it got printed. Crumble. Right, and you've still got. Cr- I mean, crumble's not the end of the world if you're dredge. Yeah. Well, you're going to crumble. One life. <laughs> no, they gain. I thought they gained its casting cost. Yeah, one life. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Crumbling yeah. this card. You're right. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking of other things. I don't think there's going to be a problem yeah. there. Are, there are enough answers. And the five-color deck means you've got all the options in the world. Our goal for today's show is not to do a full set review of Dark Ascension, mostly because we can't, but <laughs> there's at least one more card that we should talk about. I call her Talia, Garden of Thraben. Steve chooses another pronunciation, I think. We don't know. It's, it might be Thalia, it might be Talia. Right. You know what we're talking about. Right. Legendary creature, human soldier. She costs one white and one colorless. She is 2-1. First strike, non-creature spells cost one more to cast. So right off the bat, this is Legendary Glow Rider, right? Yeah. Except she costs one less, which is huge. <laughs> so she, aside from the different casting costs and the presence of Legendary, she is Glow Rider. Uh, Wait, first strike doesn't have first strike. No, first strike is even better, too. So, obviously this card is right up in the playability by all the measures that you normally measure by. The casting cost is right on, mm-hmm. two mana, one white. The power and toughness, which we've gone on at length about, the Grizzly Bear methodology is right on. She even has a combat ability, First Strike, yeah. which we could go on for yeah. quite a while about. First Strike on a 2-1 body is actually highly relevant yep. to Vintage right now. Yep. What with uh, Revokers and Slash Panthers, Bobs, Snapcasters, uh, I think we're forgetting at least one other, maybe Gorilla Shaman. There's plenty of uh, Metalworker. There's plenty of smaller yeah. creatures that she interacts very favorably with. Yeah. 
but obviously, all of that is pretty milk toast compared to <laughs> making the spells cost more. When we, uh, when our one of our first podcasts, we actually said if they printed a glow rider at two casting costs, it would be vintage. Play. I forgot about that. We did specifically. You specifically said that if they made a two casting cost glow rider, it would be awesome. <clears throat> so, the question is not playability. The question then is where, how much, how much does this legendary business impact? What do you think? I think we have a fantastic precedent to look at in Kataki. Yep. And how many people, how many Katakis he play? Two or three. Yep. And I think that the, the, <laughs> the tendency would be to want to play more of her than yeah. you even do Kataki, but I don't think you can push it more than three. And in some cases, maybe two is the right number. Yep. Um, it, it has to do a lot with the rest of your deck. Number of things come to mind. Do your creatures die frequently, in which case you can play maybe one more than mm-hmm. usual? Are you killing your own guys via mm-hmm. Skull Clamp or something like that? Mm-hmm. In which case you can get away with more. Are you searching her out in any way? Mm-hmm. Uh, Green Sun Zenith and Birthing Pod don't really see any play in Vintage. But be that as it may, there are some other factors that go into, but I think you start with two, <clears throat> try three, and I think she provides a great boost to Green X Beats or Bant-style decks in this format. And she may have a lot of synergy, actually, with the other implications from the cage. Yeah. In my set review, I identified six car- six archetypes that this card could fit in. Mostly gr- green-white, or white-X beats variants, fish variant variants. Mm-hmm. But one, a workshop variant, workshop with white. You know, what do you think? Well, workshops with white is, <clears throat> has a long history of various iterations in Legacy, and not yes. as much of a history in exactly. Vintage. But it's... It's one of those things that has always sort of seemed possible. Mm-hmm. Very similar to legacy builds. You get lots of synergy with mass destruction and things like Wraths and Geddens. You get good symmetry effects that you can break, like Stony Silence. <clears throat> and there's all kinds of wacky stuff that the people play in legacy that you probably can't get away with in vintage, like Mages of the Tabernacle and Gideon Jura and some other stuff. The main like limitation, that. I mean, I think for work, Vintage Workshop... Well, go, go ahead. Finish your... That's an interesting... Well, so I guess what I'm saying is it's worth trying, but I have a feeling that the, the existing creature-based archetypes are, are where this Where did you come goes. up with Gideon Jura? Where's that Oh, from? it was played in the Legacy White Stacks <laughs> deck. It's a, it was a very good card in that particular build. Hmm. You can't get away with that in <laughs> I think I remember. Did you play that? <laughs> no, I did not play it, but I was very interested in the list. I may have posted it on our forums. One of the things that, that comes to my mind, I remember one time you fanned open a workshop hand that had, like, Mishra's Workshop, three Trenosphere, and three Crucibles. <laughs> and so, I, you know, the reason that popped in my mind is because workshop decks are built on redundancy, mm-hmm. you know, and this card is inherently non-redundant. You cannot get redundancy out of it. So it's like, in some ways, an anti-sphere. I would argue that in one way, and that is simply that this card does two different things in a way that a sphere does not. Mm-hmm. It is a sphere that also interacts on the board. Let's be clear, this is a thorn, but... Well, okay, yeah. sure. It's a thorn that also interacts ways. on the board. Mm-hmm. So it can get you virtual card advantage. If you play it yeah. as a thorn, slowing your opponent down, but if your opponent also happened to have a bob, for example, you're getting virtual card advantage by preventing that bob from attacking you mm. or being able to threaten their life total at the same time. Yeah. So this is this is pretty good upgrade from a thorn if you can make a colored, well, white-based workshop deck work. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I just think the, the, the limitation is you're building a white workshop deck. There are a number of white cards that you can you can add. What white cards come to your mind? Is, is your Stony Silence. Is Stony Silence is pretty, pretty good. good one. And, <clears throat> oh, jeez, I'm sorry. There's another one. Oh, yeah, Balance, which I was just about to say, unfortunately, this card doesn't That's synergize nice. with Balance yeah. very well. But then there's Removal of Swords Sword. and Plowshares and Armageddon, if you want to go that route, things like Flags that. Flags of Trokar. Yes, and I also think that 
ironically, uh, Stoneforge Mystic's not out of the question hmm. for a white-based workshop hmm. deck, too. Gives you a real... That card single-handedly gives you a real boost against any creature deck. And you have a huge range of, of equipment that you can... Yeah, unfortunately, none of those equipment I've, and I've looked. There is no equipment that really well fits the stacks kind the of strategy. Uh, uh, resource denial, per se. But... <laughs> having something there. having something like a batter skull in play does not hurt That's in the sense that the workshop mirror uh, yes yes <laughs> trust me stoneforge mystic in the workshop mirror is some good hmm. but it's hard to make it work in a in a grander scheme ultimately i think the the main home for this is is beats and fish decks yeah definitely and i even think beats gets the biggest boost not fish because i looked at i looked at back and i saw every single deck that ever played glow rider yeah and almost all of them were beats decks green x green green white beats mono white green white red white uh, green, white, black. Yeah. I mean, this is an, uh, pretty much a straight upgrade. Mm-hmm. Beat stacks have a legitimate threat. I mean, you're going to have a lot of denial. Imagine you add, like, Gadok Teague in a deck with, that takes out Gush and Force mm-hmm. and Jace. Wow. <laughs> and Gadok, Gadok Teague with a cage in play? How many cards in your blue X control deck can you even play? Oh, my God. <laughs> if you have Gadok Teague in play... You can't play... If you, if you can't play Jace, Force, Gush... Tezzeret. Tezzeret. Any either. Yeah, either Tezzeret. <laughs> if you have Tinker or Yon Cage and <laughs> Gaddock Teague Cage and Revoker in play, your opponent is completely shut out. <laughs> <laughs> All they can do is play Mental Mystic. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> And because she's got first strike, all their creatures probably suck their bobs and snap Yeah. Don't, don't help them. That's very funny to me. So, yes, the green X beats, the green white beats probably in particular. I mean, green white beats is, of the, the beats family of decks, it's probably the most popular one these days. We even mentioned white, tra- white trash in our one of our podcasts. <laughs> That's right. The mono white deck. That's right. <clears throat> which did have Stoneforge Mystics, by the way. Uh-huh. I think this creature is great. I think we yeah. want to see more and more like it. Well, I think I, I agree with you. I think that the trend in this set, that this card in particular, and Cage, suggests, given that we fact that Cage probably has the best mm-hmm. home in workshop aggro deck, workshop decks and in, in beats and fish decks, doesn't this trend pretend the continued emphasis on creatures in the format? Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if R&D was listening to our previous podcast <laughs> about that Glowrider business. Maybe we should come up with some other three-casting cost guy that would want to be to made into a legend and reduced to two-casting costs. <laughs> Don't get us started. Psychotalk? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, jeez. just discuss the trend towards creatures. Let's discuss what caused that trend. I think there are at least three factors last uh-huh. year. First is clearly the printing of Snapcaster Mage. Okay. I mean, we saw Control decks playing Snapcaster Mage, but then a, a bunch of other decks adding Snapcaster. It's a tempo card. And it contributed to some aggro control strategies as well. The second is clearly the rise of the land still. I mean, land still started dominating the Bluebell tournaments and then started winning everywhere. Right. And the best strategy against land still is... Play a Tarmogoyf. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In fact, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Tarmogoyf plus Cage seems like a very good uh, board state. In this <laughs> format. A board state that I anticipate seeing a lot <laughs> in, in the coming months. Uh, um, and I think the third major trend towards um, creature decks that, that's moved the format towards creature decks is the, really the re-emergence of Mystic Remora. 
Hmm. Mystic Remora has been so powerful at fighting these mental misstep decks in Snapcaster and so on and so forth. It basically what what trumps Mystic Remora? Don't play non creatures. <laughs> yeah, or play creatures <laughs> to remove the double negative. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we've seen a tremendous trend towards creatures, and um, in my article earlier this month on trends and predictions for 2012, I cited a couple things I thought would be very good in the creature metagame. One was Time Vault. <laughs> right. Because that, if your opponent has a Tarmogoyf, I want Time Vault. Mm-hmm. I will find the second part before you win the game. And interestingly enough, Cage promotes that approach. Absolutely, it's true. And you already talked about Tezzeret. Yeah. The other thing is, of course, Oath of Druids, mm-hmm. which is, the hands down, the best strategy for fighting. Very interesting tension now between whether or not Oath of Druids can uh, can combat the cage and but gain benefit from there being creature creatures. Decks, yeah, so. it's an interesting tension. So let's look at the. There's a recent top eight where, in fact, three Oath decks made top eight. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> just on that, just on that trend, right? So this was out in New Jersey at the Westmont. This is the first of the Northeast Vintage Series Invitational events, which is a year-long series being held by a couple of TOs on in the Northeast that mm-hmm. we've talked to before, and <laughs> they are building up to an Invitational event at the end of the year. So if you're out east, make sure you participate in some of these. Maybe you can win an invite to a nice big tournament in December. I think the the, the the invitation might actually invitational might be in July, if I'm not sure. No, no, so there's two two invitationals. Oh, are there two? They oh, may, sorry, I just saw sure. the one mention of. Gotcha. Uh, of it's December. in December. My yeah. my bad. I might be mistaken. I'm thinking of the Star City Games invitation. Anyway, if you're interested in this yeah. tournament series, take a look at the Mandarin. It's the New England. So what was the meta game for this tournament? It had it right there. Oh, did I? <laughs> so, so I mean, the meta game. Oh, here it is. <clears throat> I mean, Oath was the second biggest player in this metagame. Not just Oath. Demon Oath. Demon Oath. Oh. And there's also GG Oath beneath there, so uh-huh. we aggregate the Oaths were over 7%. This, of all three of the Oath decks in the top eight were Runescar Demon-based hmm. strategies. <clears throat> and Demon being now the most efficient finisher. Well, I don't know about efficient, but definitely preferred. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I have to admit, I have not played this deck in any kind of uh, organized fashion I'm familiar and read about it with with the the goal of the demon, but I find it very interesting that a card that promotes or not promotes requires you to play another spell really to have its maximum efficiency is the preferred strategy. But isn't that what Tyrant Spout Tyrant does? <sighs> a very interesting example. Tide Spout Tyrant, you still get a lot of benefit if even if your spell doesn't resolve. Oh, I see. Because it's a trigger, mm-hmm. and also any old spell will do. Really, with a tight spot deck, mm-hmm. if they counter the one you've got, you just go get whatever the next one on the top of your <laughs> library is, and you can still facilitate. Yeah, <laughs> the demon deck though, and this is partially my inexperience with it in a tournament setting. You're going and getting a specific threat. You're getting a five-five flyer. Don't get me wrong, but five-five flyer is below the curve for how much time it takes an investment in vintage. You're getting a card that you want to resolve. Now I understand you have a reliable tutor. Perhaps you can get another one next turn. But I still find it very interesting that the dominant oath deck, at least at the moment, is one that involves going and casting another spell. Mm-hmm. Part of the inherent power in oath is once it hits the table, you don't well, need to cast anymore. Right. Well, I think to get big effects, but you just get time walk, right? And then you oath again, and then you get Yogwell. But but that's my point is is you resolve oath, and your opponent is was trying to stop you from getting oath, but they but you get oath anyway. Mm-hmm. And your opponent's like, oh no, I'm screwed. They're going to get the oath, and you oath up a five five and try and cast time walk. Well, I just counter your time walk and 
and win. I see what you're saying. And, or next turn, you open up another 5-5. Five, five. I mean, I'm at 15, and you play another spell. That just, seems like a theoretical problem, but not a practical. Well, and that's right. that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's yeah. my experience in a tournament setting. Yeah. It just surprises me yeah. that a card like Oath, which is so good at skirting any future casting necessity, yeah. is built into a deck yeah, that... Exactly just, wants to do that. It's basically yeah. just using it as a demonic tutor. I see. A demonic tutor plus a 5-5, five, five, but you're basically just tutoring. Yeah, I definitely think the idea is to try and never give your opponent a turn once you Oath. And, 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 and that right. deck does that better And if you resolved Oath, in a lot of cases, I guarantee yeah. that you, you also will have no uh, threat from your subsequent threats. I'm sorry, you'll right. have no threat to your subsequent spells. But look at the most popular deck in this metagame. Grow, yeah. 6%, just above the Demon Oath at 5%, and there you have it, the inherent tension of creatures versus Oath. Yeah, and beneath it, Noble Fish, Delver, you know, lots of, lots of, and then beneath that, Lancelot, you've got a lot of creature decks in this metagame. Fascinating to me that the, right under Jace control is Dark Times. <laughs> <laughs> and 3%. Lots of diversity here. Um, but so the, the metagame is clearly creature-centric, and the response was Oath, and we could expect the response to be Oath mm-hmm. until Cage is printed. But let's look at the Mean Deck Open, which was held the exact same weekend in Columbus, and we had 34 players, which was our record attendance in the Columbus tournament. Lots of, lots of hype on Twitter before this event. It was a great thing. Thanks yeah. to everyone who promoted the event and came out to have a Jonathan time. Medina, in, in particular, it was great. We had a lot of... We had Ari Lax and Brian DeMars was there. Yep. A bunch of ringers. It was a great crowd. Lots of people for the first time. People were super psyched. Shout out to Mark Sun, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so first place here, Gil Rivera. The top four split. That's right. So, so the, the top four are listed, I guess, in no particular order. I don't mm-hmm. know how Gil got... First billing it. But anyway, Gil... He was the only... I think he was the only player with... Was he first at the end of the switch? He was 501. Oh, okay. There you go. So, ostensibly in first place, Gil Rivera with Dredge, which I'm told Gil played as... 5-1, yeah. As something of a misdirection. (laughs) Yeah. Since he is uh, historically against that archetype and did so in an effort to either be ironic and or surprise people and or catch people... Off guard, and I think well, he accomplished everything. I play, he did. I played a, I played a gush deck. I played surprise, surprise. I played a gush deck that um, was very much a gush control deck. Mm-hmm. You know, with two misdirections was my tech for the tournament, and I faced Gil. I went three hundred one, and I faced him mm-hmm. in in round five, and I needed to win that round. And I lost to him, and in game two, I mulligan to five, and I found a ley line. In fact, I found two. And my hand was Leyline, Leyline, Mox Jet. Nice. <laughs> Force of Will Gush, which I kept. And that so I took a pretty good hand. You would keep it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, five, five cards. Yes, yeah. I would definitely keep that. So hand. I, I put the Leylines into play, and then he just proceeded to play creatures. He got two, <laughs> la- two mana, and he played a, a creature. A Bloodgast? Yeah, and then he, he next turn he played another Shadow. He played another <laughs> land, and he played a fourth land, and he cast Flame King Zealot. Which wow. I had to force or lose. There's some high irony there. And he just killed me with creatures. So I think actually, you know, that strategy is pretty smart. And if you look at his sideboard, check out what he has. His sideboard: one black lotus, two chain of vapor, two dark confidant, four dark depths, one mox jet, one urborg, tomb of yogmoth, four vampire hexmage. So he sideboarded all that stuff in against he me. He became dark times, basically. He did. He became dark times, and I was not prepared because I sided out both my trigon predators. Mm-hmm. I had no creatures. You know, I even cited uh, probably one or two of my Jaces, mm-hmm. and, and all I could do was Tinker, which he had the chain for. <laughs> How lucky. He had two chains, and he had... No, he has well, two he chains. he has in two main. in the main, yeah. yeah, so he was up to four. So I think in many ways, this deck is actually maybe what the future of Dredge might be like. I mean... He's got two main deck bounce spells in the form of Chain of Vapor. 
He has Nether Shadow. He has a lot of creatures. He has nine mana sources, which is pretty typical in these No, days. this is not the Fate Stitcher Sun Titan version. This That's is, right. He's got four Blood Gas, four Icarid, four Nether Shadow. And, so more creature heavy. Yeah, and four Narcomoeba. I mean, the, the Sun Titan versions run two Icarid mm-hmm. and no uh, Nether Shadow. I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more like this. This strategy is pretty strong when people try and just go all in on that, on Leyline of the Void. Right. And also, you know, like Gravecrawler or something like that, is a two, it's a it's a Jungle Lions. It's pretty efficient at, at combating. Now, you're talking about a card from Dark Ascension, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Gravecrawler is the 2-1 zombie that you can cast from your graveyard if you have a zombie in play. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a jungle lion. It's mm-hmm. a 2-1 creature. It's a Savannah lion. Except right. it's a jungle lion because it can't block. Right. Oh, can it not block? It can't block. I didn't block. see that part. Okay. That's, that's why it's jungle lion. Right. Um, jungle the... lions can't intercept, just to be oh. clear. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know what this, I don't know what this blocking business is <laughs> from, from 1994 or whatever. Well, <laughs> no, no, horsemanship is not <laughs> relevant right. um, mm-hmm. effect in vintage at the moment. But the point here is that he has sort of a transformative sideboard that ignores the hate. Right. So this strategy would actually be really, really effective at combating Cage. Mm-hmm. Because... A very good point. Decks really are going to weaken themselves against creatures... In general, when they're mm-hmm. playing against Dredge. If you can get Vampire Hexmage and Dark Depths together, then he laughs at Cage. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's run down the rest of the yeah. top eight here, then. Ben Weinberg ran with a very interesting uh, Bomberman build. Jamie McCarthy said this is a variation of his Bomberman yeah. from a couple months back. But this is, I think, Jonathan Medina brewed this one in Ben Weinberg. This is a deck that, this is Bomberman, which is Oriox Salvager's Trinket Mage. Right. There's a deck that gets much better with Cage. Right, and this particular build, uh, I think those guys would be upset if we didn't point out their technology, which was one reanimate and one consecrated Sphinx. (laughs) (laughs) And the synergy with uh, (laughs) drawing your whole deck. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. So, let's move on. John Knight played Delver. No, he played Landstill. Uh, I'm sorry. No, this is yeah. He played land still, but he add, he added a couple Delvers main deck. Sorry, I was I, I looked at one card, which is three Delvers. He's got three Snapcaster Mage, one Ninja. I know he had more of those in the past. Well, his argument, his argument, no, he only ever had the one Ninja. Oh, I thought he had he, more. His argument is that Ninja is what Brian Demars uses Riptide Lab for. Oh, sure. Do you yeah. pick up your pick up your Snapcaster? Absolutely. It's it's very synergistic, and he's got some Psionic Blasts, which I find fascinating. <laughs> Did he? Oh, I see. He's not playing red. Yeah, it's mono blue. That's Landstil. why. So, Psionic Blast in, in place of Lightning Bolt or Fire Ice. Yeah, he has only one Flusterstorm, two Drains, three Mental Misstep, and four Force. So a very interesting mono blue evolution of of Landstill. Man, this mm-hmm. tournament had lots of interesting developments. Lots of creatures so far. All creature decks so far. The last of the top four Not just is... all creature decks, but all emphasizing creatures. Right. And even the Dredge deck. Very interesting. Last of the top four, Paul Bart... Uh, that says Blakely, sorry. <clears throat> Paul Blakely playing... Uh, this is Noblefish. Mm-hmm. Noble Hierarchs, Pride Mage, Meddling Mage, one Selkie, Goifs, three Stony Silence in the main. Where would you put Cage in this deck if you had it? I would swap out one of the Stony Silence. I would stop, swap out, let's see, <clears throat> maybe a Steel Sabotage. For sure. And... Um, Maybe one of the creatures. I'm not sure if I'd want three in this list or only two. Does he have Mystical Tutor? No. He does I, would, not. I would be just inclined to cut the two Steel Sabotage for two Cage. Okay. I like... Well, no, you're right. He doesn't have Mystical Tutor, so just one Steel Sabotage I, I guess you do weak. need a response if they uh, uh, turn one Tinker, but... 
Well, he has three, oh, he has sword. He has three plows. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. So just go- going down to zero steel sabotage seems like a good place. <clears throat> but otherwise, this is a pretty, pretty standard mm-hmm. noble fish list. The rest of the top eight, fifth place, Douglin, who beat me in the last round in a very close match. Mm-hmm. He was playing Remora Grow, Mystic yep. Remora. So there's the Grow deck again. Tarmogoyfs and uh, Trigons. Jason Pear playing. Yep. I'm sorry, Pere. Excuse me, Jason. He was playing uh, Landstill as well. But he had a tech of one main deck. One main deck Sower. Which is pretty pretty impressive tech. Pretty good technology. Card we haven't seen in a while. He maybe have been a little ahead of the curve here in the emphasis on creatures, and that, mm-hmm. that card probably went well for him all day. <clears throat> Seventh place, Mark Trogden, playing a very surprising blue deck. Eight, eight creatures. <laughs> That's right. Look at that. Two agent, Tezzeret Agent of Bolas to go with his Snapcaster Mages. And I'm sorry, and Dark Confidants. Wow, yeah. he's got a full set of four Snapcasters yes. and four Dark Confidants. Yes. He's four Drains and four Fours, too, and three Mental Misstep. Very interesting list. Two Agent of Bolas, two Sensei's Divining Tops to go with a whole bunch of other artifacts. Oh, and two Keys to go with this Time Vault. Very interesting. And then perhaps one of the most the coolest decks in the entire tournament, eight Yeah, plus. Brian DeMars came down and played Bant Aggro, which <laughs> on the surface might sound a lot like Noble Fish, but this deck was nothing like it. But this deck's nothing like Doublefish. <laughs> and in, tr- in, in typical Demarzian fashion, the only four of is Force of Will. <laughs> <laughs> but he has some <clears throat> some Jace, some Drain, some Misstep, two Remoras, two Snapcasters, one Gaddock Teague, one Pride Mage, one Sylvan Library. I yeah. love that. He said Sylvan Library was amazing. He just paid four life every turn. Right. It, but you don't want to play more than one, because the diminishing... It's not blue, you can't pitch it to force. Yeah. The diminishing returns is powerfully in effect there. <clears throat> one green sun zenith, which explains why he has some other one of green That's creatures. his tinker, he mm-hmm. said. So he finds... He can zenith for Teague, Pride Mage, Trigon Predator, or Tarmogoyf. Yep. And he, he has the Sword of Feast and Famine, which does... That Sword of Feast and Famine, anyone who's played... Type 2 lately would be very well aware is the one that untaps your land and makes your opponent With- discard. But he's got... So, uh, sto- two Stoneforge Mystics to go search it out. And it's pretty good with Mystic Remora. Yes, it is. <laughs> Very synergistic with Mystic Remora. Putting your opponent under pressure such that they can't just sandbag cards and then overload you, and at the same time giving you access to your lands twice a turn so you can pay for Remora and continue to play threats has great synergy with Mystic Remora. A lot of people might go, might look at this... this uh top eight and say, what is going on here? Well, what's your impression when you look at it? <laughs> That's a very good point. Anyone who hadn't been following some of the broader trends in the format might look at this and, and be genuinely questioning. I think this is fascinating. I am surprised to see so many creatures. But at the same time... I mean, every one of these decks is a creature deck. Right. But at the same time, there are a couple of overlapping trends here. For one, Snapcaster Mage. Snapcaster Mage is seen in one, two, three... Um, there's none in Doug's deck. Three, four, five, six of these decks. Did wow. I count that right? Is that right? Wow. No, Paul. I'm sorry, I lied. Paul doesn't have any in his in his uh, noble. Still five deck. of the so eight. So five decks. of the eight decks with Snapcaster wow. Mages because two the two Landstill decks are have it, and then that's two remarkable. of the other two of the other creature decks, and then uh, how many the, Dark Confidants? When you're Confidant Snapcaster, I think there are only. Two confidant decks. Let me see. Mark Trogdon had four, and Doug didn't have any. Noble Fish didn't have any. John didn't have any. 
There are some no. dark confidants in the sideboard of Gil Rivera's deck. That's right. <laughs> That's funny. No, I'm sorry. Only one deck has main deck dark confidants wow. in this event. So five to one in favor of Snapcaster in this particular event. That suggests something for Cage. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. I think the I think this tournament would have been ripe for oath. I think that's <laughs> the difference between this tournament and the and the other one the same weekend, which is that there was no oath at this tournament. Yeah. And and you saw there was a bunch of oath at the other one, and three of them made top eight. Yep. Which well, suggests that if Cage is going to push out oath, we're going to see more top eights like this. And is but there, less Snapcaster. Is there a single gush? <laughs> is there a single gush in this top eight? Doug's, for sure. Doug's, oh, there you go. Doug has gush in his he's playing in grow. his grow deck, right? But that's it. Doug was playing the only gushes in this top eight. Does that mean, though, if Cage keeps Oath out of the format, that we're going to see more top eights like this? More awesome top eights like this. I mean, you've got, you've got you know, Orax Salvagers <laughs> in here, or is Snapcaster pushed out even more and we see more? You know, there is one other thing that we haven't seen happen in Vintage for quite a while, which is a serious shift toward non-Oath creature hate. Hmm. This is Vintage. The card pool is at our disposal. How good would a Perish have been in this event. Wow. Against all the goifs and the pride mages. How good would balance be in this field? Yeah. So, wow. it's been a long time since any vintage deck has had more than just a scant smattering of the three plows towards the plowshares in one of these decks here is probably the most targeted removal in any of these decks. Well, Maybe in the whole the event. That Dredge has consumed so much of the sideboard mm-hmm. that you don't have room for creature decks. Oftentimes on the sideboard. So you well, once you once you add all your workshop hate, dredge hate, and a little bit of blue hate, you really don't run many anti creature deck creature hate. Well, if all I can tell you is that if Tarmogoyf <laughs> is around, I want to be playing plows or doom blades or dismember maybe threads threads sower. maybe some sowers balance or tesseract agent of bullock <laughs> <laughs> into into a five five infect guy maybe huh? oh. Uh, Maybe some ink moth nexus. Anyway, we're getting we're getting out yeah. of hand here. I just think that there's an opportunity for creature genuine creature hate to return to return not return but to be significantly amplified because it's, it's been so long it's so since good against had so much you know it's been so long I, since I, creature decks have run more than the most minimal amount of creature hate. Plenty of us have been running maybe two or three bolts or yeah. doom blades in the sideboard for months. But yeah, but, mostly just for workshops or for the occasional noble fish matchup. But all of a sudden, if if you could reliably expect to face three Tarmogoyf decks in an, in a seven round event, but the traditional removal doesn't do it against Tarmogoyf. Pyroclasm. No, you have you to know. be creative. That's why Sower might be pretty interesting. Yeah, or Threads threat, or said. Control Magic variants. What's the um, the blue enchantment from Alliances that has cumulative upkeep that stays? It's from Mirage. Mirage. You're thinking of a uh, 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 harness. M- mind, uh, mind harness. Yeah. Yeah. That. Oh <laughs> man. If any of you don't know what mind harness is, go take a look. There's nothing that your Tarmogoyf playing opponent will dislike more than you just reaching over for one blue mana and stealing their goyf. <laughs> Seems pretty good. You can also take uh, anything out of Brian's deck. <laughs> That's right. You can even take a Pride Mage if they're tapped out, which is rare but possible. Is it possible? Oh, a Trigon Predator too. Is it possible we'll see more Stoneforge Mystic? I think that's definitely a possibility. If you lean toward the Green X Beats Talia. or yeah. yeah, or a Bant deck like Demar's played here, I mean he's already got two. Stoneforge Mystic is another one of those cards that's a total beating. It's not hurt by Cage. Yeah. And wow, you, you think that you think Tarmogoyfs are ugly? Try facing down Batterskull with no creature removal, <laughs> and you're trying to protect your Jace or whatever. Is we've and been they could just pay we've five been laughing about people who've been talking about 
we've been laughing at people who have been suggesting Stoneforge Mystic for months now. But now might actually be the time. That could be. It could be. Brian obviously made it work in this case. Yes. And I know other people have been looking at it for a while now. Mm-hmm. I mean, just tertiarily. <clears throat> so, what, how? One, I think one of my main concerns about beat stacks in cage is how do you protect the cage? With blue in the fish deck, you can protect it with days, spell, spell pierce, and force of will, and, and misstep. But how do you protect it in in a, in a white green, white green black, or white green red deck? You or protect it in the way that you protect any of your threats in one of those decks. You attack your opponent with every permanent you play. You attack their resources. Yeah. You play. You play the the. <clears throat> what am I trying to think? Of? You play the Talia to make their to slow them down. You play the Pride Mage to deal with their big threat, perhaps. Or you play your Gadok Teague to, to cut off their options. Then you play your Leonin Arbiter to disrupt their hmm. mana. Hmm. Or your your uh, the Flash guy, even Mind Sensor. Or to your catch them off guard. Relic Warder. Or your, your Relic Warder, exactly, to disrupt them. Just remove that one mox. You play your Revoker right. to turn off their Soul Ring or their Jace. Yeah. That's how these decks win. It's just Overwhelm. And I don't think protection is really the right metric when, hmm. when you're building toward that goal. Hmm. You just you just pile on such that they can't dig out of the first thing you did because the second thing you did makes it that much harder. Yeah. At the end of my at the end of my 2011 year review, I said, "Are we going to look back in January and see what was going on in December mm-hmm. as the initiation of a, an explosion of creature decks, mm-hmm. or was that going to be a flash in the pan?" I think that was one of the questions we asked. We said in the last podcast, "Was Delver flash in the pan?" Or, right. Right. Look how many Delver decks are here. Yeah, there's well, there are three, right? Or, or, or is it just two? Let's see. Uh, John Knight has three Delvers in his. But even beyond the number of Delvers, what right. we have is a lot of creatures. Functionally. Functionally, <laughs> yeah. Functional Delvers. So, yeah, sorry. In this particular event, there really is only one Delver deck. That's but there are a couple of other decks that could be Delver decks. Yes. Doug's deck, for example, is one yes. that is only eight or so cards different from... The deck that Jimmy won the last yep. Team Serious Open with that had Goyfs and Delvers. Right. And, and uh, Brian DeMar's deck, he has Mystic, uh, Stoneforge Mystic and, and a bunch of other creatures instead of Delvers. He could definitely have run Delvers in that deck mm-hmm. if he wanted to. <clears throat> I would be very interested to see what the Vintage community comes up with. I think you're going to see maybe a Parish in the sideboard, two mm-hmm. or four, mm-hmm. which is a pretty good landslide. Or Goyf, or the yeah. white version, if, in case white X beats becomes more popular, <laughs> Virtue's Ruin. So so Goyf has gotten a lot better in Vintage, it sounds like you're saying that. Oh, yeah. And if Goyf is better, then certainly Stoneforge Mystic is better, because that trumps Goyf, right? Yes. Yeah. Stoneforge Mystic Batterskull trumps Goyf. The biggest problem with Stoneforge in my testing and research was simply that you it was hard to find a disruptive threat. I could see why Brian chose Sword of Feast and Famine, because in, in my experience... It was on a very short list of equipment that really made your opponent address them. Batterskull's good. He's a threat, but he is only a you know, five-turn clock. I mean, it's it's not unsurmountable. And as soon as your opponent gets Blightsteel Colossus, well, you, you have problems. Uh, Sword of Feast and Famine, though, does hurt modern vintage decks. They're not so fast that they can't that so they don't like one of it is untap the your lands. What's the other one do? Your opponent discards whenever they get hit by. Is it, it. random? No, they choose. Hmm. But it puts pressure over time of a different sort, resource pressure. Mm-hmm. You have to combine it with something else. Don't get me wrong. Basically, the thing about Stoneforge is it is a good trump for a number of things. Yes. It can't win a game on its own. That's gotcha. really the bottom line. If you go turn one Stoneforge, lots of decks are in trouble. But if you do nothing else, they will get out of said trouble. Mm-hmm. Workshops have 
metamorphs and revokers. They can stop a batter skull if you give them time. Yeah. Other decks can tinker on a Colossus if you do nothing else and, and just bounce the batter skull, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> they can catch you with your pants down and destroy it if you try to bounce it at the wrong time. Hmm. So the point is, and that's the thing I think that's been holding Stoneforge back, quote unquote, is that it really can't <laughs> it can't be a leading strategy. It it's is a, only a support role. supplemental card. Yeah. You know what's also interesting is that a lot of the green X beats decks have relied on key cards that cost two colored mana, uh-huh. like Relic Water, Gadok Teague, and Kasali Pride Mage. Yep, Talia is one that's can be played easily on turn one. Oh, that's a good example too. Those decks. Well, f- very frequently only run one or two Moxen. Well, two Moxen, really. Yeah. And you probably want a fuller complement now. You, you might want to. And with there's there's one other card we mentioned earlier, Revoker, which you can easily cast yeah. on turn one now. But that's not really a turn one play. What? As at shutting off your opponent's turn one Mox, it is on the draw. Turn one Revoker is a very mm-hmm. strong play, I think. Mm-hmm. And also preemptively, if you if you fan open your hand and you've got Cage <laughs> and and Relic Warder. Or, uh, not Cage and Relic Order, but Cage and Talia and some other stuff, you can be pretty proactive with a Revoker if you know what you're doing. Hmm. Name wonder, Jace, for example. Things like Meddling that. Mage is poised for a Renaissance now that I'm thinking about all this stuff. Like, Meddling Mage is always is always a possibility. I mean, it uh, it is always a potential sideboard card, especially if you're very familiar with certain matchups. Right. But on the flip side, we're talking about strategic diversity in the format right yeah. now. Meddling Mage is not conducive to fighting a strategically diverse format. Take Tarmogoyf out. <laughs> <laughs> could be. Could be. So maybe a, a, a white-blue aggro deck that doesn't rely on the Goyf could use that to, as a trump in the Green X matchup, something like that. This is, I mean, when was the last time you can remember a shift so strong and accentuated to creatures? Like oh, the choke toward creatures? No, yeah. I, can't, I can't think of one. I mean, we were always... Uh, a dark confidant started to become very popular. People at least started talking about playing creature removal. People are playing things like fire ices and dark yeah. blasts. Like I want to remove my opponent's confidants. Yeah, that pales in comparison to what we're comparing See, now. No, I, I can't remember ever seeing this. This is like a. This is like reminds me of like 1994. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, this is like. I mean, we, we, this is kind of we're talking about as a revival of zoo in a sense. I mean, yeah. except not red green. It's it's you know like basically like white blue green and. Right, bant colors and and I'm sure there'll be black. And red Aside from some mono brown aggro deck or workshop aggro decks in recent history, this is really does harken back to the ages of of the survival based workshop decks. <laughs> what year would that have been? Two thousand two, two thousand one, two thousand. Yeah. 2001, yeah. 2000, yeah. <clears throat> what was that deck called? TNT. TNT. That's right. <laughs> Goblin Builder. Isn't it right. amazing that Goblin Builder doesn't seem like it's posed for a return? But all these other creatures are here. Right. And Goblin Builder was once the undeniable king of creatures in this well, format. And there was a time in which Goblin Builder functioned like a like a super moat. If you put a Pentavis in your graveyard and you had Goblin Mother, what was a creature deck going to do? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, infinite Pentavite tokens, I'm dead. <laughs> now you put a cage out and you don't have to worry about that problem. Wow. That phrase, you put a cage out. Uh-huh. Do you play your cage? Okay. Put that guy <laughs> in a cage. strange. Cage you? <laughs> Nicholas Cage? <laughs> Uh-oh. I think uh, I just found our meme. <laughs> you, how many Nicholas Cages did you get? <laughs> nice. <laughs> And there will be plenty of references to a cage match, I'm sure, <laughs> where both players are trying to play cage. And they all they all board him out. Yeah, Graf, a cage Graf Digger's cage is not does not slip off the tongue. No, it doesn't. Like, what an odd name, <laughs> Graf Digger. 
It's one of for those names for card that's going to see play everywhere. It's one like, of those names like Smith and Fletcher, where it's named after their function. Yeah. Like, what's a graph digger? <laughs> is it like a variant? Uh, like, is it like the German grave digger? Graf digger. That could be. Could be. <laughs> it's a grave digger. But at the same time, this is a person or a or a profession built around preventing the sort of things <laughs> that a grave digger would normally right. be associated with. Well, in magic, grave digger means going and get something. In reality, grave digger means putting something into the ground and keeping it there. So I suppose the grave digger cage makes a little bit more sense if you really are set what, on keeping things in the ground. Awkward name for that. I thought wizards wanted to like keep the you know right the important cards. I think sharp that's and mainly in the snappy. core set. <laughs> well, this is an uh, this is not a basic card. This is a highly advanced card, so I can see why it would have a very specific name. Although it's it's obviously not a individual because then it would be legendary, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's not Joe Grafdigger. <laughs> so I think it is a profession. The old Grafdigger. Don't like the name, love the card. Yeah, I hear you. Well, Nicolas Cage will be uttered many a time, I'm sure. <laughs> so this is a, we're looking at lots of creatures in Vintage in the near term. And nothing, rather everything, uh-huh. that we've seen so far suggests that that trend is going to continue unabated. As you're listening to this... I want you to tweet us and tell us what you think the response to the creatures will be. Do you think it's just going to be Oath? What what creature hate card do you expect that. to <laughs> load into your vintage sideboards to, to off all these Tarmogoyf-style creatures? I do you want to mention one other thing I think is interesting? First of all, the show-and-tell Oath deck will still be able to continue because it can show-and-tell and, tell and yeah, Very funny and channel, interaction. Channel and Rockle. Very funny interaction. <laughs> but, um... Oh, at that point, oh. for those who don't understand, if your opponent has a cage out and you oath up Emrakul, he just stays on top of your deck and then you draw him. Right. Which is very synergistic with any channels or show-and-tells you might be right. holding. So oath turns into basically a, tutor. just a, a, Top, worldly, a worldly tutor. tutor yeah. <laughs> Sylvan tutor and worldly tutor. Right. The other thing that, that's interesting is that you could actually sideboard your oath into Maniac now. Like, so yeah. you start out with, like, Runescard or whatever, and then you become Maniac Oath. And similarly to Emrakul, you can Oath up the Maniac and then draw him, play him, put him into play, and then next turn, assuming you have no other creature, you Oath your whole deck away and win on the next turn. Right. So that might be a way that Oath can... That's very next level-ish. Yeah. I, be... I don't anticipate that being a reliable strategy. <laughs> I like Doomsday for Maniac. It might work better. once. Like the first <laughs> it, time. It will work once. I, I'll give you that. <laughs> that will happen to somebody, just like people win with yeah. Laboratory Maniac and Draft. It I does really, happen. <laughs> I really like myself some Doomsday right now. Yeah. Wow, we didn't talk about Doomsday at all. Well, these cards really don't. Yeah, <laughs> Talia, but it seems like the, the creature trend is here to yeah. is here to stay. It's ex- an amazing time to be playing Vintage. I mean, people were super excited. The mean deck opened to play. Yeah. you would have had a blast. I know. I wish I could have been there. This is going to be a good year. I can already tell. Amazing. The what cage we... ushers in a great year. <laughs> Who could have imagined? No like, kidding. Like the the set review is going to begin with, you know. Some wacky top eights, and then boom, cage. Your set review, 2012, the vintage apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> vintage, this is all about creatures. I mean, it's a really amazing time to be playing vintage, and if you have, you know, if you're listening and you're trying to get your friends into vintage, what would, what would you recommend? Oh, well, I don't know. My advice doesn't change that much, but I would say, okay, my advice is always proxy up decks. Yeah. That's just flat Absolutely. out. It doesn't take more than a stack of commons. Uh, and Steve's favorite uh, <laughs> Christmas present, which is lands Sharpie. and sharpies, yeah, the vintage, the vintage proxiers toolkit. Go, <laughs> go to your F and M, grab a stack of draft leavings or basic lands that nobody wants. Proxy up vintage decks. You want to be a little more advanced? Go on something like MagicCards.info and print off the proxies yourself. 
From Where's a the distance? best place to go to find a vintage deck to proxy up, though? The best place to find a deck? Yeah. If you oh. if you if you want to get someone into vintage, where should you go to get a vintage deck to proxy up? Boy, the two obvious answers come to obvious. Two answers come to mind. Morphling.d for actual results. Yep. But you have to have a little bit of pre knowledge in order to appreciate that, which is the deck to choose. Yeah. Otherwise go to the manager drain and just look at people's conversations, what the hot topics are. Yeah. There will always be at, at the top of the vintage strategy forum a handful of decks that are being heavily discussed right. and new cards. But and you can look at the term results form and just take the first place deck out of any tournament results yeah. and proxy it up. And yeah, sure. Or, and, but if you're listening to this, you know that we rely on Morphling.d all the time. Mm-hmm. A perfect place for for popular decks. You can it'll take you five minutes to to scan through eight top eights and immediately get a feel for recurring re- recurring trends. And you can say, mm-hmm. oh, I like this build. I like this this kind of thing. I like I want to play with more goifs or more snapcasters. I don't know. It doesn't take much. Proxy decks up. Yeah. The, the best thing you can do to promote vintage is have a vintage deck. Not yeah. strike that. Two vintage two decks. decks yeah. Better than that, two four, or more. Four vintage yeah. decks. <laughs> have it doesn't take much to represent the whole metagame in in a small That's sample right. size. You're right. Have two two creature decks. Have a you can skip dredge maybe. Deck. Have a shop deck. Have a blue deck. I don't know. It's, it's have an oath deck. Yeah. And if creatures are a more long-lasting trend, like some of these recent top eights point to, lots of legacy players will be more interested in the format. Because these decks are starting to look a lot more like legacy decks. Lots of Goyf and some Jace and some Noble Hierarchs and some Vendillion Clicks and Snapcaster Mages. The differences between Vintage and Legacy, at the moment, are a little bit blurred. Yeah. And so you could get some more attraction there. I like that Oath has a speed bump. I mean, Oath is just too easy to set up and execute, you know? And <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that. Well, I mean, especially in an environment where Snapcaster Mage and... And Dark Confin are seeing a lot more play. Like Oath triggers a lot. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. You, don't, you don't need to worry about building the two card combos quite so much. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's I basically it. now is a two card combo with Cajun play at least. Yeah. <laughs> right. You have to remove the. Yeah, you're you're beast within <laughs> Oath of Druids. <clears throat> so anyway, you want to play vintage? Go proxy some decks. Now's the best time to get into vintage. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and you're early in the year. You can catch the tide going into vintage championships. Oh my now, god! You're not going to be able to proxy as much in vintage championships, but <laughs> still, you'll catch a wave of interest and development in the format. Yep. To sum things up this week, we'll finish with our question of the week, and I think I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. What creature removal do you think will stand out or come out of the woodwork to fight this surge of creatures in Vintage? Continuing that metaphor of a surge, if the wave of if the tide of creatures has come in, you know, how are we going to respond? What's the solution? What cards do you think you're going to play? What cards are you going to add to your sideboards? Right. So, tweet us your answers, at many insane plays, or email us at many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. And as always, we wish you many insane plays. <laughs>